you know the Billy Boy? The rich have only sucked off low-class scum like you. <laughs> Welcome back to Queer Horror Cult. We survived. We survived the uh, the desire to stop cinema entirely after last week. Mm. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah. And uh, life I, finds a way. I think we did a good job of recouping our love of cinema this week. I dare say. Yeah. Yeah. So Oscar season was upon us. Mm-hmm. Something I generally don't really give a flying shit about. Mm-hmm. But there is one particular movie that kind of swept the Oscars that I was very happy to see do so, and that was Parasite. Hell yeah. And so we figured, let's get on the train of everyone that's just discovered Korean cinema, especially Korean genre cinema, mm-hmm. and let's act like we know what we're talking about. Mm. Yeah, as, as we typically do. Yeah, for sure. Have you seen much Korean cinema? Nope. Okay. Like, one movie Okay. comes up the top of my head before we did this episode yeah yeah okay and that's cool. that's just like one that i know is explicitly like i may have dabbled in the past but not like knowingly not knowingly so. yeah when i was a teenager before i discovered italian horror which everyone knows is my true love mm-hmm. of life uh, i was super duper into japanese horror mm-hmm. um i really loved and i still am don't get me wrong that shit slaps uh that's why we did that blood vengeance yes. episode um I was into Takeshi Miike and sort of like the 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 new school of horror that was coming out in right. uh, East Asia and stuff. And so I decided like, well, rather than just stick to one country and pretend that that's representative of everything, because mm-hmm. obviously it wouldn't be, or just stick with one director, I should, you know, as I usually do, it's like, this is cool. What else? Mm-hmm. How can I expand? How can I keep going with Broad this? Broad horizons. And I eventually got into some Korean thrillers. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. And there are some really fucking good ones oh, no that doubt. came out sort of end of the 90s into the early 2000s alongside some ghostly ones from Korea. But nice. uh, I feel like I didn't get as far into it as I wanted to before I kind of like there was a period there in the mid 2000s where I just kind of stopped watching horror very much, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds shocking for me. I know. <laughs> I think I was burned out on like all the like the way it was going here where it was either just remakes or torture porn right kind of thing and it's like cool like i'm fair i like all kinds of cinema and all that stuff when it feels like we're just getting the same thing over and over again it's Mm -hmm. it gets weary so i just kind of stopped looking at new stuff and i just went back to the classics it's like that's kind of when i got into slasher movies probably because it's like ah the new stuff's not interesting me time to fall back into stuff that i may have missed yeah fair enough and as such I missed a lot of good movies. Happens. Yeah, it happens. But <laughs> you with can catch up now. Yeah, exactly. But with Parasite winning, uh, and you know the uh, all the hype around Bong Joon Ho and all that, mm-hmm. it's uh, I decided to see what else he made because uh, mm-hmm. the name wasn't familiar to me. And then it turned out I owned a fair number of his movies, <laughs> or I had seen some of them before. Right. Uh, so I figured, 
well, you suggested we do this episode. And when I was coming to curate the watch list, I was like, oh, I have enough that we could we could watch this. We could do this episode. Mm-hmm. And so we started off with a thriller, a sort of serial killer crime thriller that I had bought forever ago, but hadn't gotten around to watching. Mm-hmm. But I bought it on the strength of hearing it was a really good movie. Cool. Um, this was Memories of Murder from 2003. It is and a very good movie. Yeah, I didn't uh, realize the connection until... Right. Yeah, like... Um, which is funny because uh, one of the other movies we watched that we'll cover after, The Host... Um, I had seen that one, right. and I had had both of these in my collection for a while, but I never connected that it was the same guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it doesn't help that his uh, filmography is, is, like, even if it's not huge, it's, like, pretty diverse. Yeah, for, totally. Like, I found yeah. out he, I haven't seen it, but he directed that um, movie that was a Netflix movie a couple of years ago, I think now, about the, like, girl and her, like, genetically modified super pig. And oh, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I, I know a lot of people when it came out, they were like singing its praises and they were saying it like, you know, it would ultimately push them to go vegan and all of these things. Yeah, this one I missed. This one I, I hadn't yeah. heard of. You mentioned it this morning, actually. Yeah, I was, I, was looking, I was like, oh my God, he did that? Because yeah. it's, it's not horror. I mean, I guess there was probably some like horrors to it in the, like, or what could be, con- but it's not like classic horror. Yeah. There's no like monster or anything. Sure. It's more, um, from my understanding, kind of like confront, it's the horror of confronting the, the, you know your cognitive dissonance around like factory farming and like eating animals and right. e- eating something that's that was alive that that whose death is necessitated for you to eat it kind of thing right, yeah like so i guess that could be a pretty horrifying experience but mm-hmm. that's what i mean it's not like horror in the classic sense yeah although it does seem like he does the uh what i love about the horror genre with um social commentary yes and genre bending yep very, so that's very really good. Cool. He, of course, did uh, Snowpiercer, which I have not seen. Me either. Fun fact, um, that was supposed to be his parasite. That was supposed to be his big breakout movie. And Harvey Weinstein fucking squashed it because Bong Joon-ho didn't let him, like, make it his own movie. That's another thing that drives me crazy about that dipshit and, like, a lot oh, of yeah. Hollywood fuckery, like, Hollywood super producers and mm-hmm. stuff, is if we even set aside... All the like, I was gonna Being say sexual sex assault allegations, but I'm yeah. like, I don't think Just you have to say second. allegations yeah. anymore. Oh, no, he, like, he's a fucking. Sex by pest. the way, this as of this morning of us recording it, um, like probably like within the last hour, I got a notification saying that he was actually convicted. Oh of, shit! I didn't know of that. A couple of charges. Oh, where's the champagne? Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I saw that within, like, five minutes of it being announced, and I was just like, nice. Oh, good. Fuck that Okay, guy. so we don't even have to say allegations to yeah. cover our legal ass. Fuck that guy. All that rape um, and fucking just being a sex pest asshole piece of shit who should yeah. go in a well and stay there. But even before that shit came out about him, yeah. he was kind of, like, visibly shitty for his uh, studio practices right. of... The sort of, like, I know that he was guilty of this, like, the Weinsteins were guilty of this, uh, among other big powerhouse producers, uh, where they would buy up indie films mm-hmm. that were similar to properties they already had just to shelve them and bury them. Yeah, so they and couldn't be competitors. Like, that could just totally fuck your burgeoning career. Right. If you're starting out. Like, yeah, you got paid for your movie, fantastic kind of thing. But if you don't have the laurels of that going forward... Because, you know, if it never sees the light of day, then when you go to do your next movie, you might as well no one's exist. fucking heard of you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Because um, it sounds like these guys weren't in the habit of buying their movie shelving and being like, we want you to work on something else. Yeah. It's just like, all right, we're taking your movie because it competes with something we want to put out. There's the door. Yeah. Kind of thing. Exactly. It's almost like they're paying hush money mm-hmm. to shut the fuck up about this movie that, that, that you made. Yep. 
And um, that just seems so cynical. And yeah, and just up. so like predatory capitalism at its yeah. fucking finest. Like. Yeah, for sure. And like these were companies that were sort of praised for being like indie stalwarts and stuff. And it's like you guys are supposed to be elevating the right. indie scene, but instead you're just like you're, you're very trying to narrate, like create a narrative over what is good indie cinema mm-hmm. and what you want to just sweep aside. It's like it's like the algorithm, but in real life. Yeah, that's human driven. So to hear that he pulled that garbage. Um, in terms on King of, Bong. Yeah, like, that doesn't surprise me when you say the players involved, you know? Right. And, uh, yeah, so I'm glad that, um, I guess it's good that King Bong was not working in the American system. Being mm. a Korean filmmaker, it's like, this didn't squash his career. Right. It just, it maybe delayed his um, explosion into American mainstream. Right. But it definitely, uh, he's like, oh, okay, shit, it didn't happen. Hey, I got Korea film, Korean film industry because, yeah. you know, like, the South Korean film market is pretty fucking huge. Totally. And, um... And I imagine, like, with... Especially, like, with the hosts and stuff, he already has an acclaim, so... Absolutely, yeah. Just, yeah. And, yeah, I know, like, kind of making it in America is making it. Yeah. But... I'm tired of that narrative. Yeah. I'm just so sick of that narrative that Hollywood is the only way, you know? Yeah. And actually, um, when we talk about Parasite, I have some uh, stuff to share Oh, about I'm that, really but, looking forward yeah. to that, then. Because uh, I've been even talking recently because I've been eyeing up film schools or, like, other opportunities mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And the idea that, wait, there's several industries outside of Hollywood right. and America that, that I could happily work in and get a good career out of. It's just it doesn't have the visibility of the Hollywood mainstream and therefore it might as well not exist yeah, according the to the dominant narrative. And uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's actually almost freeing to realize mm-hmm. that that's not... The trajectory you have to take. There are options outside of it. Yeah. Especially when you're Canadian, too, because you're mm. outside Hollywood, but you're, the film industry here is so tied up in Hollywood. Exactly. Like, if it's not straight up an American production filming here, it's uh, the big companies. They, they've got their... Like, I have a friend who works in the film industry in Toronto, and how often she's off to America as part of her job. And, like, she works in visual effects. And she still has to go back and forth as part of her job. Yeah. And it's like it's impossible for her to work autonomously Canadian. Yeah. So, yeah. Ain't that the truth? But, yeah, so it's really awesome to see that he did break out with Parasite. Breakout. Mm. It's funny because I remember, like, the way people were talking about the host. Yeah. How was that not a breakout? Yeah, everyone was, like, like, losing their shit over it. I was looking at the Blu-ray case and I was putting it back on the shelf and it says, like, on par with Jaws and stuff like that. Like, so, you know, it's, a. it just kind of shows how short the collective memory is where he has to break out again and again (laughs) and again just to break out. Well, yeah. This, I guess this breakout is exceptional because not only is it a like Korean language film, but I guess it's a second breakout Korean language film that broke out into yeah. the, the West. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know about Memories of Murder. Like, I think it's a very good film, but I don't... It had a lot of hype from genre fans. That's I how say, I heard yeah, about it. But probably but, not quite um, as, like... As, I mean, yeah, I'd heard, like, yeah. I'd heard of the host. Like, a Palm, I'd never heard Palm of Releasing put it out, or Palm Pictures put it out on DVD, like, forever ago. Okay. And, um... They were sort of genre players at the time. Okay, so I had like, sort of like a like small dedicated fan base, but it wasn't yeah. just like, oh my god, have you seen the ho- have you seen that scene from the host? Yeah, totally. Like even as we were watching it, I was like, like oh my god, I've that seen scene. it's that yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess to start at the start, we watch Memories of Murder. We're gonna yes. do this chronologically. Chronologically, yes, we will. Um, it was a lot more police procedural than mm-hmm. I was expecting necessarily, but I don't think that was a bad thing. No. 
it was so nice and also cynical to see how shitty these cops were. Yeah, and I don't just mean bumbling, because, you know, shitty yeah. cops in an American movie, they're bumbling, or yeah. it's just, like, that kind of thing. In, like, maybe a Jallo, the shitty cop, they just get nothing done. They're mm-hmm. ineffective kind of thing. Whereas here, they're shitty in that sort of, like, they abuse their power. They're fascistic and stuff. Yeah, they're super corrupt. And I think this is a first sign of, uh, as you mentioned, like, King Bong's ambivalence factor. Yes. Uh, because oh my God. the cops are sort of working for a good goal to stop this serial killer. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, their methods are just absolutely fucking awful. And they purposely try to railroad people. Yeah. Into, uh, to, because they just want it solved. They're like, we think it's this guy, so we're going to make up evidence and... Oh, I should say, again, right now, um, there's going to be heavy spoilers for all three movies, because we felt like this topic, it would be kind of pointless to just go three quarters of the way there and not get into it. Well, you can't go into, like, the social commentary and stuff without revealing what happens in the Exactly. So I'm going to give a warning for each movie, of course, uh, and I'll put a warning in the description. But yes, so from here on out, we're going to be doing spoilers for these movies, and starting with Memories of Murder. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a thing. But, like, they go after... The guy that at least the subtitles keep referring to with the R word for being like, a, right, like a not mentally all there and all that kind of stuff, and doesn't that just feel like a very cynical but almost real world abuse of power? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what did you What did you take from from the the dynamic in those interrogations? Yeah. It it was a combination of you know scapegoating who's di- who's different who would be who could we believably say is the cause of all of this disruption mm-hmm. well it's the person who doesn't fit in yeah who's not normative there's the whole like pressure to just like cut and dry get the case closed so that they can look good yeah another case actually... on the books yeah. yeah and like they're you know they're the, and that's yeah i think where some of the ambivalence comes in is that like some of them are distressed over these murders they're really fucking mad when they miss out on an opportunity to catch the killer and another woman turns turns up dead yeah and stuff but at the same time their methods to try and solve it are like they're not even trying to solve it they're just trying to close the case yeah because what you know, let's say that they they have a believable suspect and they, you know, convince him to yeah, torture how him into admitting. Yeah, false confessions do they get yeah. in this movie? It's like With false confession questions. after false confession. Yeah, and it's like, what's that going to do when the next woman turns up dead with the exact same M.O.? Like, aren't you guys going to look worse? And Isn't that how one inept? of the people get off because there is a murder while they have him in custody? At least one, yeah. Yeah. It's baffling, the logic behind yeah. these characters. Yeah, not only are they abusive and they uh, physically abuse and mentally torture these people, mm-hmm. but one thing that uh, I couldn't help but almost laugh at in a very dark kind of way is how many times did they drop kick people? Oh my Just god! Just a flying drop kick, yes. and like the main detective drop kicks the transfer detective. Um, they drop kick every subject uh, a suspect they bring in. The disgraced cop starts drop kicking people in a restaurant, and there's just so much drop kicking. That's it's what I mean, like, he is a genre bending king because we, yeah. we got you know procedural drama. We have a little bit of light comedy. We have some like taekwondo action. Yeah, it Korea was, represents. It was like, so good. It's amazing. Yeah. The crime spree they're investigating in this, I feel like it stands up with, like, the best of Hollywood Mm -hmm. uh, serial killer procedurals kind of thing. Hell yeah. It was so icky without actually needing to show too much. Right? Like, we didn't... What do you mean you can make me feel like I'm crawling out of my skin without showing a gratuitous rape scene? Yeah. 
or something. Even the violence wasn't that visually graphic. There was descriptions that were harrowing and you just, you get a sense of enough of a sense that you feel repulsed without having to. And like anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm a total gore hound in a lot of ways, but I'm also a huge fan of subtlety. Like, you know, it depends on the tone you're going for and what Mm -hmm. you're doing. And I feel like if this was just like explicitly violent, it would have taken away from the sort of almost morose nature mm. of this movie because there was like a melancholy to it that yes. was really subtle and I think that that was reflected in the way the killings yeah and it just kind of like hung did. over the whole film like the the fucking rain clouds that rained down on it when everything yeah. the, the murders happened yeah Damn, that was poetic I, I love how <laughs> jollo this gets <laughs> right it gets so jollo like like where it's they're they're teasing out all these different links and it's almost like uh you know like oh the killer kills only when it rains and only when there's red jackets but then it turns out the red jackets are red herring and it's just like oh snap that was coincidence kind of thing um and and then on top of the rain it's like there's a signal that we can do we'll know that the killer's about to strike when we hear this song played on the radio and the killer requests it for a rainy day kind Mm -hmm. of thing it's just like oh man this is like the best of argento right you know exactly i also loved the this is a bit nihilistic but i loved the helplessness Mm-hmm. because the investigation continually stalls out and it yep. doesn't play in that typical like super cops gonna get the happy ending kind of yeah. thing and a lot of movies they kind of do that where it's like we're stalled out we're stalled out we're stalled out until a break finally happens exactly and i love that when they get the break in this one they still cannot confirm mm-hmm. that who they think is the killer is the killer because they just do not have the evidence yep and instead we get this ending where it jumps ahead what like almost 20 years and the main detective is no longer a detective he mm. sells what did juicers he, he sells juicers yeah he had yeah. Ju- boxes of like juicers in there yeah and uh, he, it shows him with his family and he's retired he's living the good life mm-hmm. so to speak and um he's selling juicers and as he's driving down the road he gets the guy to pull over so he can go to the because they're passing the site of the very first crime scene that opens the movie at least the very yeah where the the body was found yeah where the body was found yeah because i guess the crime scene and the body dump sites are i mean it became a crime scene when they're investigating it for sure but yeah whether or not it was like the murder site is yeah yeah yeah. where the body was kind of hidden and found but i love the darkness this ends oh my god uh, he goes and looks into the little like stone culvert where the body was found and this girl walking down the road walks by and says what are you looking at and he goes oh uh nothing uh that's really weird because i saw someone else looking in there doing the same thing and i asked him why and he said that he was looking because of something that he did a long time ago and it's just a cynical like they never caught the killer the killer's still out there and they even had this near brush where it's like yeah. a matter of days or something like right? that exactly and, um all the cop can do is just like he asks a couple questions like what did he look like and there's like he looked normal he, ordinary kind of yeah what do you mean ordinary just just normal and it just sort of ends on this look on his face where it's just like you know he knows how futile it is yeah and uh i thought that that was such a great as you pointed out it was so unfulfilling was so in a un- lot of ways yeah and, and you know knowing me raised on csi where within you know, the 45 to 50 minutes of the television show, they solve two separate crime storylines. It all comes together in yeah. less than an hour. So then that, but like you were saying, where it's not just this easy cut and dry, like, oh yeah, super cop can save the day with their mm-hmm. brilliant cunning and kick-ass power and whatever. It's like, no, it, this is so often right. what happens. Like I, I can even think of cases over the last few years that happened here around Edmonton where, mm-hmm. 
Um, like there, there were a couple cases of uh, trans sex workers being murdered. Right. And stuff like that. And you never hear anything about it. It's like the case just goes away because apparently it wasn't a solvable case. And you realize that real life is not like Hollywood. And it's, there isn't that sense of justice that we all really hope for, that, Mm -hmm. that we really want to see in the world. And it's cynical, it's bleak, but I think that it really adds to the realism yep. of and what's it, going and on. And it also calls into question what are the motives of the people in the position to be doing the solving and to bring right. justice. Because, you know, in this case, they just wanted the clout of, we caught the serial killer yeah. without actually catching him. And then, it, of course, I just think of, um, like, you know, all the missing and murdered Indigenous women in yes. Canada, but also North America. The, um, what do they call it? Is it, they call it the Highway of Tears, where it's like the highway, the interstate yeah. highway where um, a lot of Indigenous women go missing. Yes. And are never seen again. Mm-hmm. And just the absolute inaction of the police, in part, because, well, you know, they say, oh, well, High-risk lifestyles, we don't know enough, there's not enough evidence, but it's also like, you don't give a fuck. You Makes me do think not care. the Robert Picton case. Yeah. Where it's like, they didn't solve it because they gave a shit. They solved it because they couldn't not at that point. Like exactly. They, it's just like, it became such a big open thing that they, that their inaction at that point would be publicly revealed. Mm-hmm. Because uh, as has been pointed out so many times, people were coming to the police saying like, yo, this is going on. We, yep. we suspect this. And like... It just shows that, like you said, like, why are the people on the case? They're not all the altruistic sort of, I just want to see justice in the world kind know. of thing. It's a, their job and it's, well, I mean, I look, get it, but like. If we look at the different cops in this, you kind of see like a, a nice run of it. Like the, that's true. the, the abusive guy cop. is like, the first of the abusive interrogator guy, he's all like, just seems to want to flex his cop bully muscles like he's just like all about like beating these guys interrogation and the thing that totally ruins him is when he's no longer allowed to interrogate these these people Mm -hmm. and uh, he's taken out of that role and then we just see him drunk as shit at that restaurant because he's just like i can't do what i love anymore And, and um it's really fucked up because it was that abuse of power that he seemed to really respond to yeah without it he's nothing whereas um the main cop uh, who's played by Song Kang Ho, who's in all three of these movies. So yeah. he's a he's a stalwart of the King Bong movies. Yes. It's almost Sherlock Holmesy in a certain way, where it's the mystery itself that's getting to him as mm-hmm. opposed to the justice necessarily. Right, or even just like the fact that these women are being like brutalized and murdered. Like I feel like that that comes across as almost tertiary for all the cops. Yeah. The big city cop seems the most like on board with like we need to actually get justice, but then the movie shows entirely how that's beat out of him exactly by the by the sort of like difficulty of the case to the point where he's the one who is ready to gun down the suspect yeah. that they think did it like he's ready to pull the trigger on the guy mm-hmm. and it is the uh, main cop whose tactics are at first disavowed by the city cop um that has to stop the city cop from from pulling the trigger mm-hmm. on the guy. So, like, he, he undergoes this transformation when uh, the uh, sort of frustrations of not being able to seek justice happens. Yeah, it's almost like, um, it's like the, I, I, I have to rewatch it to see if this is actually true, but the, this just came to me now as you're describing it. It's almost like they go through the different stages of grief and yeah, totally. the main cop has by that point reached kind of acceptance almost, totally. whereas the other, the city cop is more kind of caught in the anger yeah. phase. Oh, that that's so 
accurate. Because yeah, by the end, he just like when he sees the the DNA results, the um, the main cop, he just he seems kind of like well, he's kind of sh- like disbelief, but then he's yeah. really resigned. He's just like fuck. Where it's the city cop, it's denial. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and he's right like, no, 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 no. He's like, this is wrong. And then it flips right to anger exactly. as he's about to kill the guy. That's a really good point because that's exactly yeah how how it functions. Yeah, like it, it's this grief over. I mean, and what the, what what the grief is over specifically could be like our the personal being like being ineffective and just like unable to solve this. Yeah, or it could be just like part of it could be wrapped up in that sort of like decent tertiary element of like women are being brutally killed in a disgusting sexualized manner and their bodies are being just discarded like garbage yeah like i don't think the movie's so cynical to say that any of them is like completely like that that detached detached, but there is a detachment there yes and it does they do have priorities beyond that for sure Um, like if you look at the captain he's the one who's always just like we got to close the book on this kind of thing and his whole thing whenever they think they have the right guy is let's do a press release he wants the cops to look good He he only gets rid of the abusive guy um because it's now public that he's been beating all these yeah these uh these suspects yeah because even leading up to that he's telling he's like scolding him he's like hey you, you never know when a when this the the press is going to be in here they yeah. send in over, undercover people all the time like he's yeah. it's all about optics for him yeah 100 percent. yeah and uh it goes to show the effect that that these police are having on people like the first suspect who they beat and then eventually let go when they need they realize that he's a witness and they need uh him to talk about what he saw um, he refuses to talk he's to the cops. Terrified. He's fucking terrified. He's, he's, th- he's like, you guys are going to murder yeah, me. Yeah, he climbs up a fucking power pole, and yeah. then they're like, come on down from there, and he's like, no, you'll kill me. And he yeah. just won't budge, because he's like, you're gonna kill me. And if that isn't a commentary on the way the police function in general... We are, of course, talking from a North American yes. perspective here, because I've never been to Korea. Um, That's fair, but I but I guess with, with Korea being, like, specifically, you know, like, essentially like a U.S. neo-colony... That where right. the U.S. interests have di- dictate like the economy, the like, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about this more with Parasite, especially. But yeah, it's like I don't think it's a stretch. And then also just the function oh, of the police yeah. in general, just in terms of maintaining state power, but also yeah. specifically there to protect, essentially protect private property. Right. It's like yeah, that's of course this is how they leave the most vulnerable feeling. Uh-huh, they absolutely. treat them like shit, and then they're like, "What do you mean you don't want to talk to us?" Yeah. You're you're in, you're stalling our investigation. You're holding it up. And in in the in this movie, the vulnerable literally end up being collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that um, when they really fuck up, and uh, the guy gets hit by a train because he freaks out and tries to run away, and then gets hit by a train. Yeah. Because uh, they're doing all this around the train tracks. The resentment seems to be like the main cop actually seems to start to show like he wishes he thinks that that's just awful that this guy got killed. But everyone else around him, it's it seems their primary thing is that they were so close to this bit of evidence and yeah. it got wiped away. Like the audacity, we've been so inconvenienced. Yeah, like that. That's the bulk of it. And this is, I think, that seems actually the turning point for the main guy. Yeah. In actually showing a little more empathy. Yeah, where yeah, this humanity switch gets turned on. It's yeah. like, oh shit. Yeah, like it, but it, it is one of those things where they have to go that step too mm-hmm. far, that several steps too far before um, being able to pull back and realize. Yeah, the what, damage has to be done yeah. and the collaterals have to be eliminated before. Yeah. It's like, oh, whoops. It really sort of fits into that whole, like, it's easier to get forgiveness than uh, ask permission Ugh, kind of thing, yeah. where it's just like, oh, now that it's happened, oh, we should feel bad about what we did as opposed to feeling bad about what we were doing yeah yeah it's all the whole like hindsight is 2020 yeah yeah 
Suffice to say, I, I thought this was an excellent movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is cynical. It is dark. It's ambivalent. It's unresolved. Yeah. It's... If you're a genre fan, it's not something that I think really needs much in the way of content warnings. The crimes are rape murders and yeah. all that stuff, but there aren't rape scenes in mm-hmm. it. Most everything is implied and talked about, but the discussion can get a little graphic at times. Mm-hmm. So there is discomfort there, but it's not in the same league as like when we I did that episode on rape prevention movies right. and stuff like yeah. that. You know, that is a topic in there for a warning, but I feel like for a movie taking a dark look at those kind of things, it has a lot of tact. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like this is, I would find this less... Uh, hard to stomach than some of the fucking SVU episodes you see come out, right? you know, like... Yeah, it's, um, honestly. So, uh, I, I definitely give this my full recommendation to yeah, anyone who wants to see a cool crime thriller kind of thing, or a procedural mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, hopefully you've already seen it if you listen to me blab on about that, because like we said, we're really going to get into it and spoil it. Yes. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a good one. Still worth seeing. Absolutely, absolutely. Next up is The Host from 2006. This was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw this when it was sort of new. Okay. Because uh, when it first got the hype for being like this great monster movie. And I remember being disappointed by it. Hmm. Because it doesn't follow the tip, what what it, I was led to believe it would. Uh, where, you know, there's this fucking banger of a scene right near the start. And then it's a, it's more of a drama, like a family mm-hmm. drama than anything for a lot of it. There's still some cool monster action in there. But right. it's not... The entire focus and when the movie changed tack like that or i thought it was changing tact mm-hmm. it was one of those things where i went in with different expectations and I, and Fair. i so i never returned to it until we decided to do this episode and i'm glad i did because it was a lot more enjoyable this time mm-hmm. yeah something about tempering your expectations or even going in with none if possible yeah, yeah i could see that because um like i mentioned i that first sort of scene in the beginning there yeah. Where the, the monster is on a rampage. That is so well done in this so movie. So good. Before we go any further, of course, there's going to be big spoilers mm-hmm. for the host. Um, just another warning for you. This one is fairly readily available, and it's worth watching if you can get it. I think it's on some streaming things. Like, it might even be on Shutter. I'm, I'm not sure 100%, but it should be watchable if you really want to dig for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that opening scene. Yeah. Well, the opening opening is we see this family... Um, well, no, the opening opening is we see The Undertaker. Oh, The Opening. It. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay, actually, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me because I think that this really sets up what you're talking about with, like, America versus Korea in uh, the American settler state. We've got that Undertaker, and it's this, like... Some kind of lab technician yeah, sorts, like, yeah. this white American dude with his uh, assistant that he's giving orders to. What did you think about the little, like, bit of colonialism in this? Yeah, I thought it was pretty pretty on point yeah it was uh well yeah even in the beginning establishing where like the conversation is taking place is in english yeah and it's very clear the power dynamic mm-hmm. both in the you know if going if you want to go off of appearances sort of like the racial hierarchy yeah but then also like you have the this person who's presumably english as a first language a lot of mastery over it and then you have the Korean man who, like, he's he's able to communicate, yeah. but he's not at the same level. So there's there's a lot of different ways yeah. that their power dynamic between them is is situated as being unequal. Right. And that's one of them. And I think um, we've learned from Parasite too that I think uh, King Bong uses English very, very interesting. Yeah, very yeah. very selectively, very in very interesting ways. Yeah. So that could be read that way. Um, I like how 
he has that utter flagrant disregard for yes. for where he's colonizing kind of thing essentially mm. like the the colonial figure that he embodies because what does he tell him to do tells him to dump all of this what is it dirty formaldehyde yep. down the drain and yeah and just like this like this fact that he's flaunting cuz the um the Korean like lab tech assistant guy he's like this go the, that drains into the Han River, like this is against all of the like environmental regulations. Like, what are you like? So, like, he's really concerned. Like, this yeah. is not okay. Mm-hmm. This is against the law. This is a threat to the ecosystem. And colonizer man is just like, we'll do it anyway. Like, we're not going to tell anyone. But so it's funny that he the, the and it's not funny. It's very fucking typical that you know the colonizer guy is like, we have to flaunt the laws and destroy the environment and all this stuff but you have to do it for me henchman. yeah you have to do it for me and i am the boss so i am telling you to do it so you have to do it but if we were to ever get caught you know he would throw him under the bus yeah in a second it's actually another i, I we, we've talked about it. it feels very much uh nick cage talking to alva and vampire's kiss mm-hmm. it's a horrible job alva and mm. you have to do it right I like how much we can bring Vampire's Kiss into, like, everyday aspects of life. I think Vampire's Kiss is uh, an important part of the discourse. Yes, always. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the very opening. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to this family, where uh, I was about to talk about is the opening scene, but it's not quite the opening scene. It's like the um, post-credits opening scene. For those who have seen Parasite, this is this actually felt like a nice little forerunner to that, in mm-hmm. that you have the family structure as being very important, and they are fairly lower class in some regards and not as well off you get a bit more difference in the family because they are estranged Mm -hmm. in that the uh the grandfather the father and the daughter are all sort of uh like the daughter clearly is coming home from school being in like her school uniform and stuff but they all are sort of living and working out of this like Like food stand stand thing thing. yeah like uh by the banks of the han river Mm -hmm. and um they're watching um the father, who is played, again, by Song Kang-ho, mm-hmm. he's watching uh, his sister compete in an archery contest. On and TV. so she has this esteem. She's going for the gold medal kind of thing. She's got this esteem there. And then he has an estranged brother who's, like, wearing suits that mm-hmm. we meet later. He's wearing suits. He's always on his phone. He's, like, got that kind of... Like businessman. And he's very uh, demanding and ordery kind of thing, which is, um, you know, helps them out when they need that kind of energy to try and navigate the problems in the movie. Yeah, but it's kind of a dick the rest of the time. Yeah, so you get, uh, you sort of see the class strata going throughout their family itself. Mm-hmm. And then you have the main character, the dad, who's just kind of like, you get that kind of like bumbling idiot. Yeah. Uh, arrested development kind of like, you know, the way his hair is dyed. You can tell this is the early 2000s or mid 2000s because of the frosted tips. Yeah, I was like, is this frosted tips or is this just like he dyed his hair and then got really lazy and didn't and bother it, it's dying? Growing the- out. Yeah. That might be the Like, case, that's what yeah. it almost looked like more. Because at first I was like, huh, frosted tips. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, it might just be like he dyed his hair and then just like. Won't, he doesn't commit to anything. Is this so. the Korean version of Guy Fieri's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, Totally. Man. Totally, man. Because, you know, they work in a food stand. Yeah. But he's this very kind of like, um, you know, he's he's an adult, he's a father, but yeah. he's... It's that the idea of like arrested development. And he's, 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 he's like a teen on yeah. the job. He's just napping there yeah. with the change like under he's, his face. He behaves face. like a teenager. Yeah. But he's an adult with 
family and like responsibilities and stuff. And he almost talks to his daughter more like a friend mm-hmm. than like or like a peer. I mean, he's clearly loving. He's not like an yes. absent father no. necessarily, but it's one of those things where you know it's just like, hey, I'm collecting some change to like buy you a new phone and and all that kind of stuff. And the way he talks and like they they watch TV together and stuff. Yeah, she seems in some ways to have more like maturity than he yeah, does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's almost like she has to make up because yeah. of where he's lacking. Yeah, so it's like the family dy- the family's there, but the dynamic is still kind of like it's skewed, it's off, it's yeah. not like they're make they're doing the best they can kind mm-hmm. of thing, but which is partly a product of their circumstances. Yeah, for sure. And then we get the big monster scene, mm-hmm. and this is the thing that like I love this part of the movie. It's the one that you've probably seen clips of if you haven't seen the movie itself. Oh, I remember it from a fucking meme, so... Yeah, like... there you go. Uh, but I just love... Because we've got the environmental thing going too, right? Where yeah. they see the shape under the water. Yeah, and, and at the very beginning... Sorry, like sort of with the credits is the of these fishermen and they pull up... The, they're like, oh my god, does that thing have legs? What the fuck is wrong with it? And they kind of just toss just it. Toss it back, yeah. Yeah, so hypothetically, that was baby that, That's what I took it to be. Yeah. And then we, of course, see the, the guy in the, the business shape. suit watching the water. He's a about to jump off a fucking bridge to kill himself mm-hmm. and he stopped because there's something under the water and the guys that are trying to uh stop him from killing himself they yeah, look down and it's down. just like what the fuck are you talking about and he's just like have a nice life and kills himself yeah and it's like that doesn't set the tone for the movie yeah that definitely that sets the fucking tone <laughs> but yeah so all these people on the han river are uh they're looking at this shape hanging under the bridge, like this big mound thing. And they're like, what is it? That thing, is it construction equipment? Like, we can't make it out. Yeah. And like, the it, shape of it, it almost looks like it's like a net full yeah, of, yeah, like, yeah. God knows what. That's kind of what I thought. Like, it like, like some a, kind of biomass. Like, almost like a net you'd see on the back of a big fishing trawl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full of, like, dark, shiny some fish something. Yeah. And then it unfurls and falls into the water, mm-hmm. and uh, then they they see the mass underneath, and rather than running fear, they're like, what the fuck is this thing? And so the one guy throws the beer into the water, and then, like, something reaches up, grabs the beer, and sucks it under kind of thing. It's like, oh my god, it ate my beer. So they all just start throwing garbage and food into the into the water. They're throwing all kinds of crap. Yeah. And it's just like, if that isn't a nice little message for the uh, environmental factor here, where yeah. it's just like, there's something weird in the water, let's throw our garbage at it. And then it swims away, and you just see, like, this patina of trash floating on top of the river and just also um i mean this is what was 2006 so Mm -hmm. a little bit you know if this had been made five years later everyone would have been filming it with their their iphones their their phones yeah for sure and their androids and stuff but there were there were still a few people like there was one with like a yeah towards the end of the movie there's a person with the the flip out camera yeah yeah and then there's there was one person i think who had her cell phone her like flip phone out and was trying to yeah so yeah that that is a thing throughout but so it it, but yeah again it's more of that whole like like oh this is a really interesting spectacle fuck Mm -hmm. the implications yeah and i love how that works because then it goes to my favorite shot of the fucking movie Mm -hmm. when they're all staring into the water and then the dad sort of turns and looks and you see in the background without sound the monster it's come up the bank and it's charging at them and all these people are jumping off into the water and the sound slowly comes up as it's getting Mm -hmm. closer and it's just this sort of surreal moment of like wait what and then um the camera follows as the monster makes its way up onto the bank and it's just trashing through people and everyone starts running Mm -hmm. and uh like that's the iconic scene that i think everyone who's seen anything from this movie would recognize yeah just like instant chaos and i'll say for 2006 the cg effects are really good yeah they still hold strong i'd say like you can see a bit of age in certain shots and all that stuff like especially i'm thinking like when the fire happens mm. and all that but for the most part like i've seen movies come out today with shittier cg right. like let's just put it that way yeah 
No, um, they, they didn't skimp, that's for sure, and it's it's holding up better than a lot of CG does. Well, it goes to show how good the technology is if they do have the money to throw behind mm-hmm. it, because, like... And to get people who know what the fuck Because, like, you look at Jurassic Park from 93, and the effects still stamp the ass out of some stuff that comes out today. Right. And it's like, yeah, in some parts they're dated, but you look at it, and it's just like... How does this look so good for a movie from nineteen ninety fucking three? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I kind of got those vibes with the host. Yeah. Like uh, the effects are a lot more refined, I would say, than right. say Jurassic Park, given the amount of age like mm-hmm. difference. But yeah, it looks great. Mm-hmm. And uh, during this this little um, scuffle with the monster and everyone freaking out, yeah, little scuffles the way to put it. Um, <laughs> Rampage. I thought there was another really interesting take on American exceptionalism mm-hmm. where they're running to like save people or like everyone's in chaos and a bunch of people are trapped in this trailer with the door chained and they're getting like eaten by the monster, uh, blood shooting out of the door. Like they're all fucked up. And the dad is like, goes up to try and help. And then this American tourist guy presumably yeah. comes running up and like starts barking orders. And is like, we got to do this. We're going to do this and to save the day. Yeah. And then, um, he's just on the charge to like, let's like, he starts throwing things at the monster and, uh, the dad tries to join in. And then the guy's like, no, we got to do this and helps him. And they like keep slapping ass at the monster. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that sort of like rah, rah American. Let's run in and save the day. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like the typical American hero kind yeah. of thing. And it bites him in the ass, yep. when, or I guess in the fucking face, when the monster steps on him and then eats him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's in doing that. And then the dad is, like, seen as cowardly right. in contrast to the hero because he runs away kind of thing. He does turn around and tries to hit the monster again to get it off, but it doesn't do much. Mm-hmm. But we see him sort of turn tail and run, and he doesn't have that that heroism that the American character has, but... But he has his life. Yeah, there's a flip on how that works out for people. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing, like, because, sure, the American hero guy tried, but it's not like he even gave his life to save the day. He gave his life full stop kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. Yeah, he, he was there. Yeah, and it's like, you know, like, you get points for effort, but <laughs> it's, um... Not so much for effectiveness. Yeah. I guess he serves as a good distraction. Yeah. But I think the way they depict the tourist is he really stands out from the crowd mm-hmm. in this one kind of thing. And so it really, like, focuses a beam on the Americanness of, yeah. of uh, who he is in the context of this. And the relations where, yeah, you can just, like, show up and, like, start barking orders yeah. and, like... You, and yeah. it's also in that sort of, like, misguided way where it's just, mm-hmm. like, um, he's doing it because he thinks it's right. He knows what's right Yeah, he has do. the best of intentions. His heart is in the right place. Yada, yada, yada. And if that ain't, like, a, a view on, like, the American standpoint of the Korean War kind of thing. Right. Where it's just like, oh, we've got good intentions. Yeah. According to us. Yes. So we're going to rush in there and we're going to take charge. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't help but feel the stamp of colonialism all over this movie. Oh, yeah. It reeks of it. But yeah. in, like, a critical good way. Absolutely. A lot of, uh, I think, Bong's work exists under the specter of colonialism. Yeah, which he's working makes in sense South because Korea. fucking yeah. life does too. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he, rather than accepting it's sort of, like, rendered invisibility, he, like, makes it visible and really critical and really thought-provoking right. ways. And it's funny because uh, just as suddenly as this big monster havoc starts, it ends. Mm-hmm. And there was this scene that, like, it really kind of, like, it hurt a little bit where um, the dad 
the the daughter comes out of the uh, food mart to see what's going on. Well, because first she, she's because her her um, the the sister her so the, the girl's aunt she she missed her, she she missed her title because she took too long. Yeah, and so she so the daughter goes out to like kick cans around and be really yes, pissed. and then she starts hearing the noise. Yeah, and then the she's like, "Where did everybody go?" Because every you know it was a beautiful day. Everyone was having a picnic on the and river. Yeah, like, to kind of suspend disbelief a bit that they didn't hear any of this yeah. chaos going on, but it does make for a nice little cinematic moment where yes. it's just this like sort of dread like yeah. the calm before the storm because we know something's thing. wrong but she's completely unaware because she's yeah. just like wrapped up being like oh i can't believe this fucking happened like yeah and then they were inside cheering and then the television yeah. cranked but then as soon as she's outside and then you have the silence yeah it's just like hold and on then it, the sound slowly picks up something's in the background. not right yeah yeah um, because she's a kid she's a little girl yeah and uh the dad grabs her hand because he's running by and starts trying to take her to safety and they're booking it and they trip and fall and um, so he reaches out and grabs her hand again and keeps running. But then he realizes he's grabbed the wrong kid's hand. There's like some, and the he's got some other kid in tow. Yeah, and so her and dad her runs, dad off, with runs her. off with her. And that's when he sees yeah, he turns around, his looks daughter back. is like picking herself up, and the monster scoops her up and drags her into the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that sucked for that guy. Yeah, like, it was one of those things where it's just like, oh, my heart broke for him. And then, yeah. like, I fucked up in the stupidest way. Yeah, because, like, he's a bumbling and it's idiot. But, me everything. but his heart is in the right yeah. place. Like, yeah. And it just, like, you know, he's he loves his daughter. And it's like, she's, and she, within the blink of an eye, she's gone. And that mistake really sets off the whole chain of events for the film. Mm hmm. And uh, it's like you said, in the blink of an eye. And it's like such a, his heart's in the right place. It's such a, what would feel like a dummy move kind of thing. And but at the same has... time, so like, and when you're in a panic, when you're in fight or flight, like you're the, you know, the whole logic part of your brain, it goes offline. Oh, in favor absolutely. Of survival, so. yeah, I don't mean yeah. dummy move in like I'm beating him up. For I mean, sure. in that situation, I would be I'd beating, beating myself the shit up. out of myself up. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, I can't believe I did that yeah. kind of thing. Like, cause, cause the, yeah, that's the way his, his siblings respond to him. He's like, how could you do that? You fucking idiot. Like, are you fucking serious? Like, and in that moment, you? the brother drop kicks him yeah. from the squat. He's sitting on the ground yes. in a bear squat. And then his legs just flip out and yeah. he drop kicks him from like half a foot off the ground. That is like a breakdance move, it right. made me laugh so hard. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, have some fucking empathy, you guys. Like, yeah. holy shit. Because, yeah, I, I, I get it. And you want to, like, put some blame on something because a lot of the times the idea is that things don't have inherent meaning and meaning things happen, horrible things happen for no reason whatsoever mm-hmm. is really hard to bear. So instead right. we have to put blame on it. Sometimes that blame gets put on ourselves. Right. Because in a really backwards way, it's easier to beat yourself up and convince yourself that you had some kind of control over the situation than to admit your utter helplessness. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, that being said. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the rest of the movie is them evading, like, the... I was going to say the Korean equivalent of the CDC... But, the, American, the, CDC comes but in. the Americans just straight up show up and take over the show kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it's not even the Korean equipment. It's just straight up the CDC shows yeah. up. And, um, yeah, because at first, like, the um, the people who were all kind of involved in the in the incident are taken and quarantined to the hospital because mm-hmm. they're claiming that there's a virus. That, yeah. the, that the, um, the, the fish monster thing, if you've come in contact with it, it like is there's like weird hives breaking out on people's yeah. backs. There and it's just sort of this like, yeah, manufactured medical hysteria mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so everybody has to be quarantined, and nobody's gonna be told what's going on. Yeah, you're just like the government says saying to do this, so it must be true, and you have to obey. 
And of course, the 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 dummy thick dad is just like, "Oh, I didn't touch the monster, but I got its blood on me." Like right, with that yeah. shit eating grin, yeah, it's just like, like, "Oh, dude, you idiot!" Read the room. <laughs> yeah, and they're just immediately like, "Get him!" Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's this uh, periodic escape from the hospital, get caught, try and escape. Like it, yeah, like he's it's evading yeah. the this like regulatory power while attempting yeah. to save his daughter because when he's in the hospital. His cell phone starts ringing in the middle of the night when he's eating. From, yeah. And, and it's it's broken reception stuff, but... When it, he showed him scratch his back with all the hives and then reach into the escargot with his fingers yeah. and stuff, and they could wait, I thought that was going to come up. I thought that was going to be too. a thing where it was just like... Because he said he felt like things were crawling under his skin. But that may have been a red herring. I think Spoiler it was. alert, there was no virus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We'll get to that in a little. Yeah. Um, But it's... uh. Yeah, shit. But yeah, he gets a phone call and it's his daughter and she's saying, I'm scared. And you're, and so I'm thinking like, oh my God, is she in the belly of the beast? Like what the hell is going on? She was at one point, but then she, they yeah. puked her up. Yeah. But no, she's, she's in a, she's in, she's dark. She's in a sewer somewhere. Mm-hmm. Please come, come dad. Where are you? Please come save mm-hmm. me. And so he's trying to relay this to the medical staff, yeah. to the police to, and, and they're just like laughing in his face being like, yeah. you are just hysterical. Yeah, they're talking sir. about how insane he you're is. You're in yeah. shock. You just had a dream that seemed real. You just need to shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's like uh, dementia is setting in kind of thing. All of these different excuses. She escaped from the hospital through some scheming. And I absolutely love Bong Joon Ho's schemes. He is such a schemer. He's the master of schemes. Yes. Yes. No, he's watching his movies. Like, I remember, like, a couple of the couple of these, I was like, this is what I wish Ocean's 8. Right? Yeah, totally. I, I say this having not seen any of the other Oceans movies. I yeah. just wanted to go see Oceans 8 with my mom and my sisters. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, which I, I thought was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But I was, I remember coming out and being like, there wasn't enough scheming. Yeah. Bong gives me that scheming. It's so good. It fills my heart. Ugh. <sighs> Uh, so I guess people giving the list of very, like, why would you waste his talents on these movies of, mm. like, American franchises they should give to him. Maybe you should do an Oceans movie then. Yeah. Because then at or least some, kind of, some be, kind of heist. Yes, some heist movie, because yeah. then there'd be so much scheming. So much scheming. Um, but yeah, I love the scheme when they're escaping and they all pile into the van and are driving off. And then they leave, they forget the sisters. Like, you idiots, how could you forget your sister? And she just <laughs> casually walks into the van and is just like, you idiots, kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, no. There's a, that's that's one thing I like about him too is that he always finds a way to put in like a sense of humor. Yeah, like the cop who is just totally making fun of the dad and like being a dick to him and calling him demented and all that stuff, uh, or cop security guard guy. He catches up to the van and grabs on the side, and then uh, the dad just like puts a hand on his face and just shoves him out like <laughs> like Hank Hill shoving the archaeologist into the yes, hole kind of thing. Exactly. It's just like this little like ah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment. Yeah. Um. And what we get are a series of sequences of them tracking the monster, them confronting the monster, and then them fucking up spectacularly. <laughs> yep. And it happens, and it always has consequences, too. Yes. Like, almost, it's, sometimes very it's, dire. It's almost humorous in a way, the way that the fuck up happens, where you're like, oh my god, you idiots. Like, it's bumbling, but then it takes us out of that safety of a bumbling comic kind of thing yeah. by, like, someone just got horribly killed, and yep. we are distraught yes. as an audience about it, or, like... It's very jarring. Yeah, it's... I love the conflicting tones. Like, this movie does a very good job of being a family drama, being a comedy, being a monster movie, and being, like, all of these things, being melancholic, being a social commentary. 
and it does all these things well. It mixes them in a way that it doesn't feel yeah, obtrusive just or like conflicting. Yeah, kind of their feelings a little bit, and you're like, oh. Like, I've seen horror comedies before where it's like, they don't quite get the balance right between mm-hmm. horror and comedy, and it just feels, like, at odds with each other. Like, you know, like, you'll see a slash movie with a little too much goofiness in the front that totally takes away from the back half, or you'll see, like, too much horror for something that we're supposed to laugh at. It's like, it's hard to laugh at this kind mm-hmm. of thing. I felt that this did a really good job yeah. of balancing the subgenres it's working Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Could not agree more. So America in this one. We see mm. the doctor show up. Yeah. At the end. And um, Well, I think it's really interesting that this, like, the introductions of the doctors comes through the, the media. Yes. Where it's specifically, like, the news broadcasters being like, oh, yes, the CDC is condemning the, Kore- the South Korean government for uh, their failure, their inaction, their yeah. just, like, absolute just lack of competence to deal yeah, with this situation. Yeah, because a good old American soldier died from the virus. Yes. Kind of thing. From right. The, the virus. virus. <laughs> and he's lauded of this, as this hero. Meanwhile, the Korean people who have, you know, were attempting to fight or to help or yeah. just to escape or anything they're all invisible you just get this wall of pictures of the yeah. deceased whereas this other guy is like he's a hero he's an eighth command whatever the fuck in the military and just yeah this exceptionalism again where yeah. it's like this one person is worth more than all of these nameless people yeah. with faces on a wall and it's wild too because the disgraced family are the only ones that are actually doing real efforts to mm-hmm. take out the monster and um and to rescue and to do any sort of, like, relief, yeah. really. Everyone else is just, like, doing more, like, obfuscation and, like... But they are the enemies yes. to the state. Yeah. To the American state. That At is, least. uh... Yeah. That is, uh, sort of ingratiated itself into To the, the American culture, military, yeah. which really, like, what's the separation between that and the state? But, yeah, um... They've... They've... At one point of the many recaptures, they've recaptured the dad. Mm-hmm. And... They're trying to anesthetize him, anesthetize him, and uh, he is so worked up about getting out to save his daughter that it's not even working. So yeah. they start performing the medical experiments on him while he's awake, and he's screaming in pain. And then the American doctor comes in, and he's just like, what, you guys don't use anesthetic in Korea? How dare you? Stop doing this. Yeah, oh, this you're is... all awful. Ugh, um, yeah. And then he seems so compassionate, and he asks the guy to tell the story. He's like, my daughter called me. He, she was taken by the monster. He puked her up. She's, she's not actually it. dead. She's in the sewer. She's talking to me. I have to go find her kind of thing. And then after listening to this, this like, heart-wrenching story, he's well, just and, like... And, and as he's saying, he's like, why didn't... Like, the thing that really got me, like, kind of in the heartstrings was, like, when he's like, well, why, why, didn't, why didn't you tell the cops? Why didn't you tell, like, anybody? He's like, because nobody will fucking listen to me. Yeah. Like, he's just so... He's like, powerless. Silenced. Yeah. He's powerless, and he's so distraught about it. And that's just, like, mm-hmm. really, like human moment that's yeah. just like oh my god and then and that's he immediately when the turn shits happens. on the moment where he points at his head and goes see this is the virus is in his brain causing this dementia exactly he's like, clearly like psychotic yeah and it's just like it's so fucking depressing and so fucking cynical and so and, fucking like and then uh, the american doctor reveals to the the uh, korean doctor the, the translator that there was no virus they haven't found any trace of the virus yeah the american guy who died he died of shock or something yeah. on, and like, he's the like, so far table. there is no virus, but we're going to dig into this guy's brain to get a sample of his blood to try and find a virus so we can justify our use of Agent Yellow to kill this monster. Yes, Agent Yellow. Yeah, a military device, bioweapon kind of thing yep. that's being used 
it, almost like a DDT thing where mm-hmm. it's just like, oh no, this is for the good. This will help humanity yeah. kind of thing. Who yes. cares about the side effects? Right. Yeah. Um, never mind all of the protests of the popular, like the indigenous population. Yeah, they just, they and... just straight up dump it on the protesters without yeah. a fuck. Mm-hmm. Without a fuck. And we see the protesters like bleeding from the mouth, the eyes, beer, and ears. Yeah, and it's just like, and... and like having seizures and stuff like that. And it's just like, yay, America kind of rah, thing. Rah. So it goes. It, it really, I, I think that's a good wording you use where it says, like, um, just dumping it on the indigenous population. Mm-hmm. Because that is colonialism right there. In a fucking nutshell, yeah. yeah. Kind of thing. If, they, if you can't get them in line, then just take them out. Yeah. But but it's funny because, uh, and by funny I mean fucking depressing and tragic, but I feel like in North America the idea of indigenous population holds different connotations than what, if you were to say the indigenous population of Korea. Yeah, for sure, yeah. like, they're Koreans, they're yes. fine, kind of thing. But yeah. here, the indigenous population is this other that is just so mm-hmm. disregarded, and it's constructed in a different way almost to try and um, validate it. Like, I don't think the, even their construction doesn't remotely validate it. It's disgusting through and fucking through. Yeah, but, but it's constructed it's, in a certain way to maintain this, like, myth-making of, like, Yeah, they keep trying to construct this narrative to yeah. make it okay. And they maintain it ongoingly. Yeah. Ongoingly is a word now. <laughs> yeah. Irregardless. <laughs> um, so this movie has a lot of that baked into it mm-hmm. and i love that that's there constantly while the movie still has this great family action drama where they're just like fuck you monster we we want to we want our daughter back and like we're gonna do what we can to, mm-hmm. to fuck your shit exactly that was a great fight at the end mm-hmm. uh the um it's funny you mentioned that uh that uh bong joon ho was in a lot of protests yeah i was reading about him out of curiosity and yeah when he was in um university yeah i guess he was involved in a lot of protests and like frequently tear gassed kind of thing yeah um like yeah big in like the i guess movement towards like or the protests for like more like democratic right forms of government and things um but if that ain't the ending of this movie like not even with the like there's the literal protesters yes that are like put up against the the riot cops and all that stuff but even in the battle between the family and the monster mm-hmm. um it just has that imagery like there's the big smoke clouds from the uh, agent yellow that was dropped on everything and you see the uh, one brother just throwing petrol bombs at it yep. pulling them out of a backpack running after them and it just evoked like you see that today mm-hmm. so much in well yeah you see it just like Antifa. yeah I love I loved your like um pearl clutching grandma antifa voice. <laughs> I just remember I don't know who my dad was talking to, but he was on the phone with like presumably like I don't know, like a business like client or something. And I just hear my dad being like having to like talk this guy down about Antifa because oh this guy is clearly just like brain Drank poisoned by like mainstream media. I wouldn't even go Fox News because like really nothing else is better. But yeah. <laughs> my dad's just like, Yeah, no, I I like I I think he was trying to be like, yeah, I, I don't actually think they're, like, really a big threat, per se, but... Or even an organization in the sense that... I don't think my dad's that woke, but... <laughs> well, I just love how it's just, like, it's it's somewhere between a death cult and, like, a roving gang of very organized, like... It's whatever we need it to be, depending yeah. on the day. Because, yeah, they're mm-hmm. simultaneously constructed as, like, these, like, hooligans who are going to just, like, destroy the social order, but also these, like, beta cuck soy boys who just, like, can't 
do it are completely ineffective and useless. So it's like, which one is it? Are we supposed yeah, to be afraid like, of them? Or they can't even be... make up their minds about like what misinformation mm-hmm. they want to live off of. Yeah. yeah. But then um, one thing I was also reading was that um, the use of like the Molotovs and the things like that um, was al- almost like a way of like, it was, it was intended to be like anachronistic where it oh, was interesting. Yeah. Where um, I think Bong was saying that it was like more representative of like previous kinds of protests that didn't really happen anymore. Right. And so it was this like dipping into the past that really didn't fit into the future or to the present in a way that was congruent. And so it, it's funny how it's come back around. Cause you see that stuff right, all the time now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if this had been made, you know, 10, 15 years later, it's like, Hey, we're back. Well, I mean, but... I watched killing America from 1981 and they showed footage of earlier protests like around the Berkeley days and all that stuff mm-hmm. where a governor was just like, to the cops, like, saying, and this is on footage, like, if you see anyone with a petrol bomb or a Molotov cocktail, shoot to kill. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Like, just straight up, it's like, they're doing proper damage, so their lives are forfeit. Yep. Um, Sounds about right. So, it's very... Sounds like the Korean War, in, too, where they were uh, they're instructed to just shoot civilians in, like, you know, danger zones, because how could you tell the difference? Yeah, that's also the Vietnam War. That's also the Iraq War. Like, it's like all the wars. It's it's, it's the the mode of operating. It's the like, war machine. War just, crimes are the just are the, the way fuel, of yeah. life. Yeah, no, I um with that in mind, because one thing that frequently the way the media like helps um sustain this really, mm-hmm. while even sometimes pretending to be critical is they always present war as this, like, oh, America finds itself in another war. We're just stuck in this war. Like, this war is, like, this inevitability as opposed to this thing that is actively done. And it's, so, it's like, they, they look at it as, like, rain in the UK. It's just this inevitable thing. It's like, thing oh, it's that, raining like, oh, again today. It's we, another war. Ex- exactly. What can we do with it? Like, yeah. And so um, if you're interested in more in being more critical about that and stuff, uh, the, the podcast called Citations Needed <laughs> has a really excellent episode that goes into that. And that's what made me think of that so i wanted to i wanted to give them a shout out because they're like cool. one of my favorite podcasts yeah you've uh i guess over the last little while been into podcast listening kind of stuff and uh yeah bird advantage and citations needed <laughs> yeah I, I love i love that you're just like yes political ones and i'm like movie and dick jokes <laughs> um i really love the way that the politics are constructed around this movie mm-hmm. yeah. and funny story actually because you know i was, I was reading about it after apparently because the politics because the politics of the movie are so at least able to be read as, like, really critical of, like, the United States, the government, the military, the intervention, all these things. Apparently, um, the DPRK, Democratic People's Republic of Korea, known in the West as North Korea, actually viewed this movie very favorably. (laughs) And they spoke very highly of it, which is apparently very, very unusual for North Korea to do about a South Korean blockbuster film. Wow. So I, I saw that. I just laughed. I was like, incredible. Yeah, Just <laughs> it goes to show the way the narrative is constructed, though. Yeah. Where it's like North Korea is obviously the enemy of America, kind mm-hmm. of thing. South Korea's got to be our allies. They are right, and it's like there's no distinction over like, hold on, you guys are still imposing your military force on them. Yeah, the the partitioning of the country itself, the the all of the um, the forced and economic isolation of the DPRK by all of the sanctions and everything, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just yeah the way the way the things that we're led to assume here in the West with it, with the narratives that we are told and everything versus the like reality there. Yeah, very different. That's what I found so refreshing about the way it's constructed here is mm-hmm. um, it doesn't even have to be outwardly antagonistic of America. It just has to present it as like it's, it is. It is. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like yeah. It's kind this, of under is, this is not the narrative that we are fed. No. Uh, here in the West. Mm-hmm. 
And if anything, it's unmasking them in really useful ways, like that really kind of pivotal scene with the American doctor where Mm -hmm. you have this moment of like, you're like, finally, somebody who's treating him like a human being and, oh, maybe it's American saviorism. And it's like, nope, it was just a really cynical way to get what they needed and then but I think that that the perfectly sums yeah. up the American that's what it, saviorism that's what I mean yeah. though yeah is, is that it really like it fucks with your expectations as a westerner and like yeah. re- kind of rips the mask off of it and kind of reveals what's underneath and you're like oh makes me wonder how much of the uh, western mindset was in mind for constructing this scene mm-hmm. kind of thing like how much would that uh, flip on expectations played differently in South Korea as yeah. they would have here because that scene really kind of like holy shit like got us kind yeah. of thing whereas they might be like knew it yeah. whereas us we're like oh my gosh how could he yeah. like yeah, yeah I, I'd be really curious about that too yeah but yeah no the host I really dug it this time around mm-hmm. um, I had a lot of fun with it uh, and I think it's one of those movies that works both through the very cool socio-political lens as well as just as a fun monster movie but mm-hmm. I like that neither are removed yeah. from each other it's not something where I would say when I say it also works as a monster movie I don't mean like it's therefore apolitical in that regard because yeah. it's not um, monster movies much... are rarely apolitical yeah oh I don't know have you seen Godzilla that was about <laughs> nothing that was yeah. just about a big sea lizard <laughs> nothing else at all no nope. his atomic Kong, breath was fine. not anything yeah but if we want to talk about apolitical cinema let's talk <laughs> about the most apolitical movie of the year last year Parasite there was no politics in this movie whatsoever, no. at least according to several fucking brain geniuses on Twitter.com. You showed me those tweets, and it just, like, kind of hurt to read a little bit. Yeah. You can, like, feel your brain shrink a bit. Like, I feel like you have to purposely miss the politics in this to say it's apolitical. Like, it's not even that hard. No. To, it, like, uh, I know on this show we like to reach and read into things a lot. We're not reading into shit on these yeah. things, like, in that special brand of us reading into shit that's not there. Like, this shit is there. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is, um, like, a lot of, even the, a lot of the people in, the, like, the Western perspectives on it read into the politics, but they still miss so much of it. Oh, I, I don't and know for a second that so, I missed. There's probably a lot of stuff yeah. I missed. Um, oh, me too. And um, but then you know the one the one that got me the most I think was the person who was like, "It's about class. It's not about left or right. It's not political." I'm like, "It's about class, yet it's not political." Sorry, my brain shut off. Yeah, it's like second. leaking out of my ears. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> So, yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about Parasite, and this is definitely going to be spoiler heavy, Mm -hmm. but it is so widely available right now, and with all the acclaim around it, it's definitely something you can access. Uh, I would highly recommend, highly, highly recommend watching it before you listen to us talk about it. It is so good. Um, I knew very little about this movie other than it's about class, and there's a family dynamic going on. That's about all I knew, and not knowing shit, there were so many parts where the rug was pulled out from Mm -hmm. under me, and I was like what is happening yes what is happening it was riveting for that mm-hmm. um, so uh if you didn't heed our warnings for the others too which i'm hoping you did for this one especially watch it before you hear us talk about it yes. like i just highly recommend doing that yeah this of course swept the academy awards and i find that very pleasantly so but surprising yeah because uh, even after seeing it i think like it deserves best picture and all that stuff uh, it's definitely a up there for best things I saw last year, like, no doubt. I mean, yeah, I didn't I, see anything else that was nominated, but I also yeah. didn't give a shit, too, so... Yeah, I'm just talking movies I saw in general. <laughs> That's fair, and, yeah. Like, uh, I didn't see the other nominees. Yeah. Um, but all that said, it, I'm still surprised that it 
it won a little bit because it didn't seem like the kind of movie to me that the Academy would normally go mm-hmm. in for. I mean, for the obvious reason, it's a foreign language film that's not American kind of thing. But beyond that... It's political. It's critical. But on top of that, it, it fit very well in the other movies of his that we saw. Yep. Like, it, it definitely has the tone. It has the comedy. It has the humor. It has the drama. And it also has the the tenseness to it. Mm-hmm. And, and the ambivalence. It's, it's one of those things where... It, I don't know. I'm just, I'm still just surprised that it won. Me I'm too. so happy it won. Like, I mean, hell, if Green Book can fucking win, then you know. And that's the thing is, like, um, I've seen some people kind of speculate that that may, that may have been an influence, or they're like, oh, we fucked up last time. Yeah, it's reparations. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I've joked that too, but I mean, not, and and I don't want to say that by by making these jokes that I'm undermining in any way that I think it was deserving that it was given. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. so I want to be very clear about that because I like I'm I'm laughing at all the jokes. Like I'm yeah. I I laughed my ass off when I saw the tweet that was like. Yeah, Parasite won because nobody in the Academy wanted to reveal that they don't know how to read. Like, <laughs> shit like that, you know? Like, yeah, so I think that's hilarious, but I also think it deserved to win. Absolutely. And I stan. I was a stan before I even saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Which was only a few days ago. Yeah. <laughs> I already want to rewatch it. Yeah, we uh, brought it to a friend's place, mm-hmm. and we had a nice uh, catch-up, nice dinner, and then let's watch Parasite. And I, I think we were all just, like, so, like, glued to yeah. this movie to the to the point where it's just like what the fuck am i seeing mm-hmm. i'm so happy i'm seeing it but <laughs> it's funny because our one friend thought it was like is it do you think this can be a horror a straight horror movie or more of a thriller and i was just like it's a thriller like i didn't know that about it kind of thing. i i got the impression i was thinking it might be more of a of a thriller than a horror straight up I heard that maybe it was like sort of like a dark drama. That's kind of what oh, I thought going okay. into it. And so to see that it kind of did all of these Dramas things. Dramas can be thrilling. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, seeing that it kind of did all these things was mm. very And then fun. the comedy. It's another elevated comedy like The Lighthouse. Oh, it was so funny. 2019 was, the f- was the year of elevated comedy. I would say this is the funniest of the three we watched too. Like, oh, this yeah, movie yeah. This was so funny. When, yes. When, and when it, it was intentionally so. It wasn't like... Uh, mm. Sometimes in a really twisted way, but yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Okay. So, what do we got with this one? So we have um, we're introduced to our family of four. We have Song Kang Ho once again. Yeah, King. He was a uh, he was a dad in the host, and yep. he is the father of the family. He now. becomes a dad in Memories of Murder. Yes, he does. And this would have been thirteen years after the host. Mm-hmm. So go because we are doing this episode in chronological order. But something came up and we weren't able to catch the host before our planned movie night mm-hmm. to watch Parasite. So going from him in this to him in the host, it was just like this weird time jump where it's like, oh my god, it's him. Why does he have frosted hair? Well, what <laughs> yeah. is happening? Like, yeah, it was this weird regression of like, we were like, what? He, he used to be a dad of teens, and now he's a dad of like a like middle schooler, maybe. Yeah. And very different. It just shows his range. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another thing. Um, I, this is not a point that I'm making originally. I, I had someone point this out well mm-hmm. before that I saw it. But it's very fucking telling that none of the actors or actresses in the... Best picture, best picture were even nominated hair. when right. normally all that stuff goes like it's look a at package jo- deal. Look at Joker. Joker was nominated for, for fucking like, everything. Like one of the major awards, and therefore because it's a best picture contender, it obviously must have the best sound design. It yeah. must have the best editing. It must have the best music. Like it's I, I haven't seen Joker, so maybe it does. But I always found that weird about it, where it's like it's a package. This deal. is our best movie, like, so obviously every element of it must be the most award worthy thing of the year. Mm-hmm. And so you very rarely get those things like the lighthouse getting cinematography and nothing else kind of thing, right? Like uh, for nominations, yeah. And it's 
very rare that you see things like that win. And I find that so interesting because uh, I think holistically a movie can be a best picture without the parts necessarily. Sure. Being all like the greatest of each thing. Otherwise yeah. it'd be a very predictable Oscar kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that's how the nominees work in yeah. this regard. They always like nominate always. like that. So it's very telling yeah. that you're showing their whole ass by no one else got nominated other than the ones that like Bong won, like for like Yeah. Like best the film picture, is elevated director, but everyone best, who went into um, it like, eh. Best screenplay, best foreign picture and stuff. Like, Don't get me wrong, he deserved all yes. of those. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it's just like... It all gets lost in the spectacle. It's very autorship of yeah. them kind of thing. And I don't, and yeah, and I, I doubt that... And I mean, he's been very critical of the whole process and stuff. That's so why sure. I loved that, like, his, his uh, thank you speeches were just like, everyone who made this movie happen... Yes. Like stand up kind of thing yeah. like, like, like it's can, just like, it's like for you, too. you were the people that made this happen too this isn't just this isn't just my word that's why i'm so over a tier theory Ugh, yeah. even as someone who like does like 75 percent of the jobs on a movie because i can't afford to pay other <laughs> people so it's like i'm just gonna do it myself so i don't have to pay anybody i think auteurship is total bullshit fucking bonk yeah. like um at least in the way it's always constructed absolutely yeah but yeah so Great performances from this family. Yes. So, yeah, family of four. We have dad, mom, brother, and sister. Mm -hmm. And they are living in what I've learned is a, is a very sort of like... So, it's like a sub-basement apartment where it's like ha kind of half underground. Like, there is a window yeah. that you can see, but it's, it's very isolated. It's very dark. It's very damp. Mm -hmm. There are cockroaches, there are, like, it's... Yeah, it's, the street is at, like, head level, kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, and there's a guy who's always outside in the alley fucking, like, pissing on their house. So, like, yeah, yeah it's 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 a very, like, clear kind of class signifier. <laughs> For a great indication of the kind of humor at play in this, um, the scene where the guy is pissing on their house, and I'm like, that's fucking it! And the guy picks up the rock to go brain him, and it's like, no, just throw water at him! Yeah. Like, don't do that! Yeah. So then they run out, and in this slow-mo while classical music plays... And it's slow-mo because the sister is recording it on her phone. Yeah, the slow-mo slow yeah. phone video as they throw the fucking water on him, and he just turns and starts pissing at them, yeah. kind of thing. It's like this fucking, like, beautiful music plays, and it's like, this... Ah, uh, <sighs> the... Like, I love elevated the elevated comedy. comedy. It fits so much in with the lighthouse's, like, Goddamn farts! <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes. So but yes, they. Um, that's the state of their life. Yeah, they know? are living. They are struggling to make ends meet. Like at the beginning, they realize that their neighbor put a put a password on their Wi-Fi. Yeah. So they are like struggling to get some kind of connection. That's that's a connection yeah, to everything. They, they can get it in the corner of the bathroom where the toilet is higher than the floor. Mm -hmm. Like the way the plumbing works, the toilet almost has to be street level yeah. to hit the sewer. Like line. you can look, turn to your right and look out. So and yeah, watch everything. yeah, like they have to climb up the stoop to sit on the toilet, which is the highest thing in the room, and it's yeah. just like yikes kind of thing totally but that's so that that's where they have to go get new wi-fi and their job their communal job that they all do is they fold pizza boxes yeah. for this like run out of a van mom and pop kind of pizza place mm -hmm. yeah and like um and presumably the wi-fi is their connection to that job to the economy in general that's the day of it now. Charity labor. Like the whole smartphone thing is it's like you almost need a, a cell phone with internet capabilities to function in Western society mm -hmm. these days because it's expected of you. Exactly. So that's why when they're like, oh, it's, it's homeless people, they have, they have smartphones. It's like, 
How the fuck are they going to work if they don't function have function in the world yeah, the way we've set it up? They need to be one. always accessible. They need to be able to do all this stuff online mm-hmm. to be able to have a job. And well, it's yeah, just... people, they, like, so many businesses, especially, like, um, the chains that are, ta- you know, taking over and closing everything else, they don't take in-person applications. No, you have to they, apply online. Yeah, you, they tell you to go apply online. They might mm-hmm. take your resume and then they'll, like, fucking put it in the paper shredder because you have to go apply online. Yeah. So... Yeah, unless, I mean, and, you know, public libraries exist, they have computers with, with internet and everything, but, again, that accessibility piece of, if they're trying, if they're going to call you back and offer you an interview or something. Do you just you, live at the library yeah. until you get your job interview? Exactly. So, it's, it's absurd. But, yeah, it really shows the kind of precarity of the situation. Yeah. And, um, yeah, one article I was reading was saying that something like 50% of the workforce in South Korea right now are, like, precarity laborers. Yeah. They're, you know, the whole gig economy thing, right? Yeah. And even in the movie, they make reference to like, oh, yeah, it's it, like in an economy where a, a job posting for like a security guard will have 500 university graduates applying to it. Yeah. Like, can you imagine the, this, the way these circumstances have turned out? So it it's funny that, that like uh, I think even said this was a movie made specific to South Korea and mm-hmm. it talked about how it's so relatable to other people in the world. And there's so much truth to that. It is. But then, yeah, yeah, it, it's like... This Not is, to say completely, but, yes. but, like, that part of it rang true to me. Absolutely, yeah, because, you know, we might not have the, you know, sub-basement apart- apartments no. and stuff, um, but there are certainly another, like... The way gig economy works, for example, yeah. just, like... And just, like, the housing conditions in some some places that people find themselves having to, like, you want a roof over your head, this is it. Yeah. And, but yeah, um, one paper that I'm, or one thing that I'm going to be like referencing a lot in here, it's, um, it's a really amazing article on Parasite by, uh, Joohyun Park. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering this, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's the author. It's called Reading Colonialism in Parasite. Mm-hmm. And like right in the intro, they mention how an early review of Parasite from the New York Times, it says like, ah, oh, the story takes place in South Korea, but it could easily unfold in LA or in London. And this is, yeah, this is one of those, like, moments where it's, like, they see the politics of it, but they completely miss the point. The point. Yeah. Because it's, like, yeah, in a way, some of it could, but the the author of this, of, um like, the Reading Colonialism and Parasite piece talks about how it's, like, the setting of South Korea is something that needs to be transcended in order to be legible to the West. It has to be something that yeah. can be seen as being... Oh, it could apply to us. It could be universal. Like, if this was to take place in London, their housing situation would be, like, six college grads in a tiny shoebox yeah. apartment as opposed to the sub-basement yeah. dwelling kind of thing. Like, it, it would need a lot of translations. And, you know, you wouldn't put it past them for doing that. Exactly. And so, and because this movie is so wrapped up, like, the host in colonialism and right. in U.S. intervention and stuff, it's like, no, it really couldn't take place in some place like L.A. or London, which is part of the imperial core. Mm-hmm. in the same way it takes place in the global south mm-hmm. yeah like i could see the mirroring in the setup yeah kind of thing but then like the way the plot goes it like how much of I, i'm i haven't read this paper i'm really looking forward to hearing what yeah what uh, the colonialism aspect is because you definitely see it in there but it's mm-hmm. not as pronounced as in the host like the host was very literal That's, in that yeah. we see this i mean like it was more overt i felt mm-hmm. in that you see this american force literally right. going and like enacting this attack on it yeah. whereas um and that's one thing that um park talks about in this paper is that um like that um it, it america is represented there by its absence almost 
So then it just shows like the the hegemony of it all, where it's just like it's so ever present without actually being there in the same way that you see the military occupying the country. You see the CDC invading and saying like, oh, we're going to take over this. Mm -hmm. Like, you're right. It's not as overt, but it's still like it's so ever present. It's important. Absolutely. Yeah. And this one, it's more American being to be American or like Americanness. It's it's aspirational. It's not something that's actually ever really like there or ever really fully achieved. It's more like it's kind of struggled for. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned where um, the English gets used very yes. kind of strategically. Where I even picked up on that on this one. Yeah. I'm, I'm not completely dense. I picked up, I, like, mm-hmm. I, I saw this with the way that it fit Yeah, in. and like, um, I, I did, so as someone who, you know, I don't speak a lick of Korean, so right. I, I think I missed a lot of it where English words would be used, and I didn't know if there were some cases where the English word was used because it's just been a borrowed word that's been kind of subsumed into the language. Mm-hmm. But um, Park goes through and lists a whole bunch of things where the 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 park family in the movie their prestige is indicated by their like proximity to english yep to confirm the park family in the movie is the rich family yes Yes. that's right and then it's the the kim family that's the 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 lower class family and so to go back to the you know that like that significance wouldn't be there in the english the anglo english speaking Mm -hmm. imperial core because english is just it's yeah the it, 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 like that's the aspirational mm-hmm. but then another um thing that park points out is that yeah this isn't just a story of class and if you just look at it as a story of class of a struggle of like rich versus poor then yeah of course it can be universalized but yep. in this place it's specifically a story of class in a neo-colony and so it goes from being just the rich versus the poor to the idea of like compradors versus colonized with compradors mm-hmm. being some kind of agent within like a country or a place that is like they're an agent for foreign organizations that are engaged in like investment trade or just in general, like economic and political exploitation. The dad of the park family, he works in tech and you know, a tech giant that is going to be an international corporation. Exactly. So, and, and like in, it's pointed out in, um, how because we're kind of introduced to him through like this, the clippings from like the newspaper and stuff. Yes. And in it, he's, 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 his name is, is Nathan Park. But I then in the movie, but in the movie, he's never referred to as Nathan. So he, like, he's always referred to by his Korean name. So yeah, he's like this. He is very much this, se- like, you know, separate kind of elevated entity. And this this proximity to English, this English name, gives him more power and more going on there than if he were just go to go by his Korean name. So the son in the main the Kim family, he has a buddy who is like a university college student and this guy is going to be going and studying abroad. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying like, Hey, I have a tutoring gig and I'd like to recommend you for the job, Mm -hmm. like to tutor English to this, this rich, to this girl, this daughter of this rich family. And, you know, I, I trust you more than my buddies who are going to be trying to like, you know, be all, be sex pests kind of thing. Whereas like, I want to date this girl. Like when she enters college, I'll officially ask her out. But I like, I trust you, man. So I'll get, I'll, I'll get you the gig. Like my recommendation should be enough to get it for you. Even though you're not in university, you took the entrance exam four fucking times. Like you got this. That, that felt uh, very interesting too, mm-hmm. where it's just like, there's a class divide there where it's like the educated college kid. He's just like, you're harmless. You're below me, so I don't have to worry about you as competition, almost. Like, right, he yeah. phrases it as sex pestery from, yes. like, the gross frat boys and stuff. But he, his motive at the end of the day is... he is, wants the girl. Exactly. Not that is, she shouldn't be sex pested, like, just 
inherently for her own well-being yeah but then yeah it's all and then also it's that the that idea of like it's not merit that gets you places it's connections like oh i just have to tell them that i recommend you and that'll be enough yeah and that that's very telling when um he gets the his sister to photoshop the acceptance letter Mm -hmm. to the university only for the 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 mother to be like i don't care about documents and there's like a five minute chunk of the movie of them getting the documents together and then she just like throws it away whatever like you're, you're Kevin now. Your proximity to English again and to help us reproduce our class. Yeah, I found that was wild. It's, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, I do want to say about the document part when they're photoshopping the documents is it reminded me so much of you. Of me? Um, Who? Me? Little old Photoshopping me? boarding passes. Oh my god, yeah. When we when I was um, studying abroad, my one of my class, some of my classmates, they were going to, was no, were they, I don't know, they were, they were going somewhere and they, they bought like, you know, Ryanair or easy one of those one of those cheap airlines yeah yeah. but budget airlines that you can you know get return flights for 50 euros kind of thing but with all the catches one being if you like fuck up your you know registration whatever information you have to buy a whole new ticket so (laughs) the one the one person she realized that she had flipped two letters in her name Mm -hmm. and she's like i can't change it without buying a whole new ticket and i was like give me five minutes with uh, photoshop and the pdf and i flipped them and I, I, you know, I was like 20 at the time and I was like, oh my God, I'm doing crime. I feel so scandalous. <laughs> I feel like you explaining this story takes away the mystery of you were photoshopping boarding passes. Right. And then it's just I like, know. I swipped two letters. Yeah, I flipped two letters. She printed it out. She was like laughing and so amazed. She got on the flight. No problem. They didn't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling they probably wouldn't have noticed anyway if it was just like the, the flipped name. Cause, yeah. Cause right. Cause it's two letters. It's not like yeah. I was like photoshopping it to work with like a fake passport or something yeah. like she wasn't stealing anyone's identity she was just like trying to recoup her stealing her own off. identity yeah totally right so yeah that was pretty funny yeah so yeah that that's that's just had me I, I will say that scene movie. yeah i was just like oh i, I feel represented <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they scheme so well like i mean oh, it's I interesting like it, yeah like the you know the sun in, in initially is a very sweet talker kind of thing. He's like very like How did he get so suave? Right? Like, this like dude had moves. Yeah, and then not in like a sex pest way, but in like a like promoting my business interests way. Like, okay, mm-hmm. how can we collaborate here? I'd love to fill in the the gap in your market. Like it was yeah. just like, damn and then the, yeah, the daughter where she's just like, okay, let's fake these documents. We'll make them look legit. It's fine. It's like, you guys are fucking smooth. Yeah. You guys are smoothies. Just a couple of smoothies. Be real smooth. Be real smooth with Mrs. Park. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so um, he gets the job as the English tutor. Mm-hmm. Getting paid pretty well. And very quickly realizes there's potentially another opening in the yeah. home where uh, the son, well, he's an artist. He's like an eight-year-old artist. He's an artiste. He's a... Uh, and his last art teacher... You know, the art teachers, they just haven't lasted with him for yeah. whatever reason. And he goes, hold on. An art teacher, you say? Well, I have a cousin who... I think she went to the same school as your as your last art teacher. And she's from Chicago. Korean girl. She's here. And uh, she's a tutor. Maybe maybe I could arrange... No, it's not even the cousin. It's a friend of the cousin. Oh, friend I of think. the cousin. My, my apologies. I'm, pre- yeah. I'm pretty okay. sure that like they're not even supposed to be remotely okay, related. You're, right, you're probably right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, so it's this just convoluted like really, thing, and the yeah. mom's like hooked. She's like, really? For real? And again, that whole English thing is like, oh, she's from she's from America. Yep. And uh, she's just, you know, she's a Korean-American. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, yes, please arrange a meeting. Like, absolutely. And so, yeah, they make up this whole shtick of like, yeah, you went to this university, you're from this part of the country, your parents, you, this is your character kind of thing. She gets the job finessing this, trying to say like, 
she, yeah, I love that part where she she said she claims that the son he like oh he has schizophrenia and yeah. this quadrant of the drawing represents schizophrenia. Yeah, this is this part of this, the schizophrenia part of the brain, and we can unlock the black box of his mind. But my my fee is very high, and the mom's like I'm so fucking lootly. Yeah. And then yeah, I'm, as smooth as the son is, yeah. the daughter. Holy oh my shit. gosh, she's a hero. <laughs> And then, yeah, after she, they're like, why did you come up with that shit? She's like, I don't know. I fucking Googled art therapy and just improv the rest. Like, yeah. so impressive. Yeah. And then, of course, um, the driver offers to give her a lift home. And uh, she plants underwear in the car to get the driver fired so they she, can get their dad a job. Because he used to be a driver. Yeah. And and he, oh, like, dad, you want to drive a Benz? Oh, my God. It's just layer upon layer upon layer of it's, like. It's an onion of skeins. And uh, they do that for everyone. Like, they've got the housekeeper who... Oh, this one was just cruel, yeah, too. Yeah, I felt bad about this one. The housekeeper um, is allergic to peaches. So they're just, like, shaving peach hairs off. And, like, as they pass, they just dust her with them. So she's coughing and stuff. But even if it's a cruel scheme, like, it's Machiavellian. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they try to convince the host family that the... She has fucking TB. She has TB. And then, like... That includes, like, hot sauce on the the uh, Kleenex that she's coughing into. Yeah, timing Selfies the at the hospital. Like, I was just taking a selfie at the hospital for to my send wife. my wife. That was so funny. Just like, yes, this is a yeah. normal thing people do. <laughs> and it's just, like, it's beautiful. It 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 Kinda plays, evil. like, a dark comedy of errors. Yes. yes, And I think this is a really good example, especially with the housekeeper, of the ambivalence you're talking so about. So much, yeah, because it's, like... I think, yeah, if anything, it's probably even, like, most clear in this movie because you recognize, like, it's like, yeah, you guys are trying to survive and you're in a really shitty situation, but then your survival is is coming at the cost of others who are in the same situation as you. Yeah, and um, I think uh, we get a little moment of clarity there when uh, they're talking a bit later in the movie and I think the dad's just like, they all got real jobs, right? Like, they probably bounced back, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then the daughter's like, hey, don't worry about them. Worry about us. Yeah, right. Um, It's funny because the friend we watched this with, we had a long debate afterwards about, like, whose side we were on yeah. and how we felt about it it's like yeah because she's a- like you're not cheering for the family we're like fuck yeah we are i'm like yeah i'm totally team kim family <laughs> hell yeah and yeah and she's talking she's like well like the park is like they haven't really done anything wrong and it's like oh honey that's why you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> but i mean she has a point she in does. that in their direct conflict thing it's it's like it's so much structural power as opposed to like and it really is like they are other than the, the dad if the park family is a fucking dick mm-hmm. um they're very forthcoming and polite in a way that they would be as a waspy family if they were in North they, America. The they'd w be total was wasps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly, and and that's and that's part of um, I think one of the really because um, Mr. Kim, the dad, mm-hmm. same thing throughout the movie. He's like, oh well, you know, there he he. There's a sort of like presumed innocence and like respectability and stuff about the Park family where he's like, well, you know, they're nice people. And, uh, yeah, like they're, so let's, let's not, let's not criticize them. Let's not question this. Let's just, uh, no, not bite the hand that feeds, so to yeah. speak. And that kind of really fucks them over in the end. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like to go back to that park paper, they mentioned how the dad's, his belief in the park's fundamental goodness, it's carried him to, you know, the, the climax of the movie, at which point he's rewarded with the potential deaths of both of his children. Yeah. Like, that's the payoff for mm. trying to see these people as good and ignore the fact that their class position and everything they have rests on everything below them. Mm-hmm. 
including the Kim family's situation, living situation yeah. and economic situation and all the violence that's used to uphold this upper class. I love, we're talking about like people below them and upper class and stuff. And I think that that could take us very neatly into the big turn. Yes. Oh my God. What we have for a setup is uh, the Park family's gone away camping for Mm -hmm. the weekend. And so the Kim family, uh, the mother who has taken the place of the housekeeper is staying there to take care of the place for the weekend. So she, of course, lets the rest of the family in, and they just live the high life. Yeah, they're going camping in the camp, yeah. in the park's house. And um, as they're doing that, the housekeeper shows up, the one who is fired, and says that she needs to get something she left in the basement. So she goes down to the basement, and that part was so creepy when mm-hmm. it's just like, so what's in the basement? She just turns with this weird smile after admitting to cutting the security cameras or whatever. It's just like... You want to come see what's in the basement? Yeah. And it's just like, nope. Yeah. She goes down. Eventually, they go to see what's up, and she's trying to force a door or, mm. or force a shelf to move. And when they manage to wedge it three, there's a doorway that leads into the basement. We get this creepy descent into this bunker, this green tinged bunker. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I remember all of us were jaw dropped. Like, yeah, holy shit. We're like, shit. oh my God. Oh my um, God. Are they holding someone hostage? Oh my fucking God. Yeah, I thought, I expected it to turn to martyr's territory happening. Yeah, like, I thought, I thought this was going to be like the moment where it's like, Oh, the Park family's fucking evil. Yeah. Comically evil. But I, lo- I evil, love rather. that it didn't take that tactic. That would have been a fun movie, sure. Sure. But, but it would have lost a- so much of yeah. its strength. Like, it's so much stronger doing what it does. Yes. But I love... You sum this up for me nicely. Because what, what they get is the housekeeper, the old housekeeper, her husband has been living under the Park's house in a bunker like a bomb bunker from the war that they didn't even know existed. The parks didn't. Mm -hmm. He's been living there discreetly for four years to avoid money collectors kind of thing. And it turns into this struggle because the, uh, the old housekeeper and her husband under the house, they find out the truth of what the Kim family did. Like it's revealed to them that they're actually all related and that they, that they scheme to get them another job. And so it becomes a war between them. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this. It's like this movie isn't as much about just a direct upper class versus versus lower class. But it's just like, how did you say it? Oh, yeah. It was, um, it's like the idea that the, because yeah, this movie really implicates the system itself in that rather, you know, the way capitalism functions and the way wealth hoarding and stuff is that the underclass, rather than being able to have solidarity and struggle and fight together, Instead, they're struggling against one another for this fucking crumbs left by yeah. the upper class. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the hierarchy here. And it's a literal hierarchy where the lower in the earth you go, the more desperate everyone mm-hmm. is. Like you have the Kim family with their sub-level house that's like a split level kind of thing where they can see the upside yeah. world, but they're living just below it. Yeah. And then you see this family that's seemingly even worse off because of all their fucking constant debt and having to hide from the money man, living deep underground, yeah. hidden away from everything. And their commonalities are brought into awareness a couple of times where, like, um, at one point they, um, I think it's the dad asks the husband who's been in the bunker, he's like, how the fuck do you live down here? He's like, well, lots of people live underground. Like, there's those, uh, like, half sub underground basements that yeah. some people live in. Or um, when the, in a climax, when the, when Mr. Parks, like, he, you know, he's rolling over the underground dweller guy to get the keys. And he's like, oh, my God, the fucking smell. Like, at that point, they're the same, like, Mr. Kim and the, the underground guy. The underground guy. They're, they're the same. They're the same. They're both yeah. fucking scum beneath Mr. Parks' feet. Yeah, so it, it's so much richer than just like a, 
uh, rich versus poor yeah. thing. Because like, that's so superficial and so overdone and so, like, like yeah, it's, it's it can be fun and it can be good, but this is so much more than that. It's so mm-hmm. much more fulfilling. And that's one thing I absolutely love about this movie. It just kind of has these, like, it's it's got all these layers that work together mm-hmm. in this way. Like, it, I, I'd say all three movies we watched of his are actually quite complicated, even when they don't seem like they're being complicated. They're presented in a, a so-called straightforward way, but mm-hmm. there's a depth to them that keeps you going back and back into them more and more. Yeah. And yeah, just, and I love the, and I've seen other people say this too, that the the ambivalence of the characters, there's no clear cut between good and bad. Mm-hmm. Because really, in real life, a lot of the time, there isn't either. Like, there's nobody who is inherently good or 100% good. And that doesn't mean that they aren't a valuable part of the struggle, that they don't deserve basic fucking human rights and decency and, like, just human dignity. And I think that was per- perfectly encapsulated with our discussion with our friend afterwards, mm-hmm. when, like there was a split of opinion on who who was in the right who was or in who the can wrong. we sympathize yeah, with yeah like like where do our sympathies lie and um it's not clear no it's not and and that's so again much like real life like yeah. nobody's perfect it's a much more fulfilling and kind of yeah thing. it's unfulfilling in a way because there's no clear victor or anything but it's fulfilling in a way that it's it's fucking real see it's funny cuz um I actually find that so much more fulfilling than if they're just like, this is the good guy, the yeah. end kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of spooky. Because it, to you. it makes me want to go back to the movie. Yes, you that's know? true. Like, it makes me want to watch yeah. it again. Um, I guess it's rather than unfulfilling, I should say unresolved. Yeah. Would be a better word. Because I found it yes. a fulfilling ass movie for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Earlier you mentioned the idea that this couldn't be transplanted to America and stuff without betraying so much of. Of, like, what's uh, there. Uh, what's there. Of the colonialism. Of the colonialism. And I, I definitely think that's 100% correct. Um, but one thing that that very much rung America to me was the very end of this movie, where we have uh, the dad is now living underground, mm-hmm. trying to reach out to his son. And his son's plan is he's going to go to school. He's going to work hard. Mm-hmm. He's going to become rich. Gonna he's going to buy himself. the house. And then the father will be able to come out of the basement and um, first off, this was such a that episode like teared me up. Yeah. Episode that ending teared me up, where we see this plan to reunite the family, all this stuff, and then we realize it is just a plan in the son who is suffering some severe brain damage at this point, and the way he's functioning, it shows that he's probably going to be a dependent for a it's lot of life. It's fucking futile. Um, it's one of those things where the system is definitely stacked against him, but he looks at it as like, if I work hard and try, I will succeed. And if that isn't the American notion of the disappointed millionaire distilled, yeah. the yes. idea that I'm not a millionaire yet, but I will be, and therefore my interests lie with the rich. With the, with, yeah. And that is just, like, what that ending screamed yeah, to me. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, not to say that that was an American ending, ending in a Korean film. Like, I'm, I'm sure that that probably is a big part of what he was doing from the South Korean perspective. Sure, yeah. But I don't know that perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm just know that individualist, like, yeah. yeah, rugged individualism and stuff. And, yeah, and just, and even the idea that, like, the best solution he can come up with, and not only is it completely unattainable, but even then it's still, it's just merely adapting yourself to the structure yeah, as it using is. using the system. Yeah. And not using it in a way where it's like, I'm using the system against itself. It's like, no, no I am in the I'm system. I'm adapting to the system in a way that, you know, like, my dad will still be physically confined to this house. He can never step foot outside. He can never, like, reveal his existence. He's still going to be completely trapped in it. But it's such a beautiful, like, like house with all the riches and amenities then you want you that it's like, he will not need more than yeah, this. Yeah, got mine, fuck you, that whole 
Like, it even has a little green space surrounded yeah, by hedges to block exact. out so, like, the rest fine. of the world. It's, like, its own little hidden villa. Yeah. And it's this slice of life that's, like, it's on a pedestal above the rest of humanity. Mm-hmm. And, um... As we quite literally saw when, in the, when they escape the house without being detected and are consistently like running downhill down to the yeah. fucking slums where all the water the flooding is yes. flooding i was just thinking just of gathering. that too yeah where it just it shows it's the whole notion of shit runs downhill yeah. and we literally see that when the toilet is overflowing with shit water and mm-hmm. uh, i think the daughter's just sitting on it yeah. is it her yeah it's really bleak it is yeah and it's not bleak in a like hollywood-esque like haha we're just being dark and edgelordy yeah. kind of thing it's just like no, this is a scathing indictment of how the world fucking works. Mm-hmm. Like what? What did what did uh, Bong say? He was like, "Oh yeah, how he how he yeah that 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 interview clip that goes around. That's just like it was the first thing I ever saw, even before I think hearing about Parasite. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this? Was where he's talking about how originally he was trying to capture a very particular sort of discontent that and just like societal like existence that he thought was specific to South Korea, mm-hmm. but then as he's you know, spent more people have seen it and he spent more time elsewhere and talking to people and all these things. He's starting to doubt that borderlines really exist because we all, we all essentially live under the same country, capitalism. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Global neoliberal neocolonial capitalism. It's a hundred percent why I could see that New York times piece. And yeah. like, I, I, I think I sort of felt that too, where it's like, too, this is yeah. so relatable and, and all that kind of stuff. But when you dig deeper, there is something like, you know, it's like, yeah, would it have, it, it's just, it's, the context is just different enough. That it's like, I, I don't know if we'd be able to do this. Because you could, for instance, go to, like, yeah, me mentioning, like, we're a settler colony. Mm-hmm. We have an indigenous population that's subjugated, routinely subjected to various forms of evolved genocide. Yeah. And I think this parasite actually makes a really kind of great point about that, where you have the son who's going through his Indian phase. Yeah, absolutely. And the use of, like, the, the, you know, the, the commercialized war bonnets at the end and stuff. And how, you know, in like Park in the paper talks about the um, this about the U.S. from like their context, but this is you know very similar in Canada where it's this we we are like reinforcing this myth that like oh well the genocide was done it's yeah, over it's with. over it's finished and you know indigenous resistance is like non-existent and that's so bleak given something you said to me in the car the other day where you were reading about how like the indigenous youth of today are like reconciliation is dead yeah yeah absolutely so it's like oh is it over is it gone and it's like definitely not if then if the next generation are saying like it's fucking we're done like it's fucking dead it's like that's bone chilling yeah like i mean you know for years you know kind of like you'll say like oh like reconciliation like you know, from the from the white side is like it's a fucking farce. Like all mm-hmm. it is is like, just you know, Prime, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau sheds a few tears, says he's really sorry and feels really bad about what happened, and then he turns around and goes and like, you know, tells the RCMP to march through unceded territory to get another yeah. fucking pipeline built. Yeah, like it's all talk. And but then to actually have yeah the, the like the youth the the core of this say like yes reconciliation is dead. Yeah, it's like holy shit like. Wow. Yeah, so the the colonial project, it's not in the past. No, it's not. And this idea of, um, like, indigenous resistance being like, oh, well, we've overcome it, so it's not there anymore, just makes me think. Because I'm, I'm thinking, like, well, no, ind- indigenous resistance is all... I mean, their existence, their mm-hmm. continued existence is fucking resistance, mm-hmm. and it's, like, resilience and just, like, incredible. But 
the, the, it makes me think of how, you know, right now, indigenous led environmental activism and stuff, everything that's going on with this pipeline in Canada, even mm-hmm. is constantly being undermined by like our government and stuff saying like, oh, it's, it's foreign funded radicals. It's white people going in with like, they're, they're just not only trying to delegitimize it, but also trying to take away the sense of agency and protest and just like everything from the indigenous population be like, oh, they're just puppets for some like, yeah, they really want Putin. They want them to be powerless on every possible. Exactly. And it's so dehumanizing, just so outrageous. And so, because yeah, when when I see the like, oh, indigenous resistance, this myth that it's like, it's dead or whatever, because we, we killed it. I'm like, what are they talking about? I'm like, oh, they're talking about the, like, it's not literally dead. It's just, it's constantly erased. Mm-hmm. And constantly treated as if it is not there. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a, one of the really interesting things about this movie is the frequent, like, you know, indigenous, like, motifs. Like the, oh, I ordered that teepee from the States. Yes. And we have these war bonnets. And at the kid's birthday party, you know, we have to jump out and be the bad Indians. And yeah. he can fight us kind of thing. And just, yeah, this, like, myth making around, like, what it is to be indigenous erasing the, the genocide. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this caricature for our fucking birthday party. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, so not only is um, this, like, everything that, like, the genocide of, the ongoing, continual, like, it's still happening, genocide of Indigenous people in North America continually erased, but then war and everything that, on which, like, current, you know, neoliberal capitalist South Korea stands on is also erased. Like, um, the Korean War can be sometimes called, like, the invisible, or the, sorry, the forgotten war. Yeah. Where it's just, like, it's... It's not just not in like maybe the public or the, the current contemporary imagination or yeah. consciousness. And so many times, um, as Park points out in Parasite, there are these moments where the violence threatens to come up and they have to shove it back down to prevent the peace from being disrupted. Like and when they lock the... Uh... The uh, housekeeper and her yeah. husband. The and I think that's ultimately shown when she when seal it over. Yeah, or she kicks her. She kicks the old housekeeper down the stairs as Miss Parks walking up because we can't disrupt the illusion of peace. Yeah. We can't disrupt the illusion that the or, of the of order of this facade of this yeah. peaceful society that is it's totally fine. Everything's good, and the violence that is upholding it and necessary for it to exist. Mm-hmm. It's just underground. We don't have to look at it. Yeah. So it doesn't exist. It's fine. And I love how the thing blocking up the the doorway into the basement literally is like a shelf of preserved like sake. Like pl- they're making like plum mm-hmm. wine or whatever and stuff. And it's just like this ornate shelf full yeah. of all this stuff. And it's just it's like beautiful the, the luxury of yeah. the uh, of the rich just pushed in front of the doorway. Yeah. Just just going to push that over here. Okay, now we don't have to look at it. And it's funny because you could almost look at the dad as being uh, a stand-in for uh, a bootlicker in yeah. the scene. Because, 100%. Because he traps him downstairs, breaks the handle off so only he can get back down there kind yeah. of thing. And, and so they can't get out. And he does that in order to go back up and live among the elite. Yeah, and that's one of the things, that, especially the really powerful kind of what has him having to live as a fugitive for the rest of his life is this moment where he's confronted with his own complicity in it. Yeah. And ultimately, um, that's, I guess the last thing I'll talk about that Park notes is that, you know, Bong Joon-ho is known for his really detailed, like storyboarding choreography and stuff. So they're like, I don't think this was unintentional, but if which make, again, makes me want to rewatch the movie, but as he's, as, as Mr. Kim is going to kill Mr. Park, he rips off his own war bonnet and as he's going up, he Mr. Parks gets knocked off before he gets stabbed. Mm-hmm. 
And so not only in the scene are the, is there no bad Indian who does any of the violence, but it's also like, it can be read so many ways. Is this like the recognition of his complicity and he's pulling it off? Is this his like, like there's so, there's so many different things that like, it's so powerful and it's so like, it's unanswered, but it leaves mm. so many questions. It's like, what does that mean? And so in confronting his own complicity, then yeah, yeah, it's things don't go so well for him. Not that they were going well to begin with. Yeah. I feel like we could talk about this movie for another hour easy. Like, <laughs> this is a fantastic movie. Um, it's Yeah, I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. I know my sister wants to watch it, so I might have to wait till she's back in town. Oh, uh, but, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. I might not hold out till then. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I get the hype. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think this is a fantastic Yeah, I'm so movie. happy to be able to say that uh, with 100%. Like, I get the hype. Yeah, because so many times, like, it's just, like, try to ignore the hype. Yeah. And uh, hope for the best. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun this week, mm-hmm. but not in our usual kind of fun. No, like, like it was these were this, this was quite a heavy week. Like, thankfully, these movies were funny and had jokes yeah. and stuff like kind that to sort of alleviate it. stuff, but not in a way that took away the sting. No. And so... It's kind of made it a little bit more bearable. And I guess one th- last thing I want to say about a whole is this dude is a fantastic filmmaker. Yes. Like the visuals, the cinematography in these movies is unreal. I just think memories of murder, mm-hmm. the shots of the wheat fields. Yep. Um, I'm thinking of that one scene in particular when the woman's walking down the street at night oh and she hears God. the whistling. She turns and looks. It goes silent. Then she turns away and starts walking back. I'm getting chills just describing I know, Yeah. Story. Yeah. I um, can feel them coming on. And then you see the guy's head barely there out of focus in the shadow just like lift up out of the wheatgrass to look at her and then slowly go back down and it's just like that part i had to back it up i think just to to, like confirm and it's yeah it was so masterfully done because i like blinked and missed it and so i'm like looking in the background like oh my god oh my god of course i didn't oh my fucking god like dummy shook yeah and the movies are like there's the whole thing is beautiful to look at, but each one has at least a couple sequences that just really kind of grab you. Mm-hmm. Like, in The Host, there's the big, like, riverfront sequence yeah. that was just, like, very arresting. Yeah, and um, to come so early in the movie, you're like, holy yeah, shit, we're there, in. There's the crime scene uh, that's getting trampled, that yeah, one long take That very, one. like, first one. In uh, Memories of Murder, in Parasite, that one you saw when uh, the family, the Park family's coming home. Yeah, and, and there's, like, scheming to try and maintain order while all, both by putting up the facade, but also getting rid of the violence, yeah. moving it out of sight. That was with violence. so wild because that was the clip. I saw part of that clip um, uh, before seeing this movie. That was the only thing I knew about it. And like just the mastery on the filmmaking, I'm like, I clearly need to see this fucking movie. Hell yeah. Like the cutting is so tight and so good and it's so kinetic and dynamic. It's just a fantastic yeah, sequence. It's fa- yeah, amazing. And I think that goes through the entirety of the film. And, like, all of these films. So, mm-hmm. you know, master filmmaker for sure. Absolutely. And that's not just a new thing with Parasite. Go all the way back to Memories of Murder. Please. You, like, that was his second movie, I think. Yeah. You see it there. Yeah. You absolutely I would never have guessed that was anybody's second movie. Yeah. Like, that's... Wow. Yeah, so... My recommendation is going to be based sort of off Memories of Murder, the first one we watched. It reminded me of a Korean crime thriller serial killer movie that I had seen forever ago it was one of the ones that i got when i was first getting into korean Mm. cinema and it's a banger i haven't seen in years and normally i know the recommendations have kind of switched to like these are just audience recommendations rather than i'm recommending to you you recommend to me and we will watch them how we realized how difficult that was we're fucking watching this movie yes please i want to we could even watch it today like that would be 
It's a great movie. I haven't seen in a long time. It is Tell Me Something from 1999. It is, I keep bringing this up, but I feel like when I'm looking back on it, very Jello-esque in mm. the construction. And it's uh, it's just a cool thriller. I don't want to get into the plot of it because I think the less you know, the better going in. Um, I have a DVD from like 2002 from Kino. And it's, uh, I don't know if it's ever been re-released here mm. since then, but if you can track down a copy, it is well worth your time. Otherwise, tweet at them to restore it and put it out on blue. Mass produced. I really would love if they did that. Start a campaign. Yeah. Change our work go. position. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my recommendation. Yeah, I'm going to recommend um, at the beginning when I said that I can only, off the top of my head, think of one Korean movie that I have seen, which is fucking shameful. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm working on that. It is 2017's The Villainous. Ah, this was fun. It was so fun. It was so good. There was some amazing ac- action sequences, really interesting storyline. Just, it was really, yeah, it was fun. It was just good all around. I really yeah. enjoyed it. I would rewatch it in a heartbeat, and I don't hesitate to recommend it to anyone. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, I really like that we got political with it. It's been yes. a while since we've done, like, an overtly political episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I feel like it would have been not a worthy discussion of these movies if we didn't do that Mm -hmm. you know agreed yeah so uh i guess we're over the hump of episode 69 and (laughs) uh that kind of means the world's our oyster because i don't think uh, other than one episode i don't know what number it'll be but it times out to an event right um i don't think we have anything set in stone so you know if there's stuff you want to see us cover feel free to tweet at us we may take suggestions we may not Mm -hmm. who knows uh, because Always we, open, I still got plenty of ideas, but there's nothing set. Like we need to do this now, this, then, um, exactly. Just try to kind of mix things up, keep it interesting absolutely. For, for us and for listeners. Yeah. Thanks so much to the people that have reached out to us on Twitter and Insta. It's been really cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely keeping us going, having a, knowing that we're not just speaking into the void. Yeah. All right. Well, I had fun this week. Yeah. I absolutely had fun this week. Until next time. Take it easy and keep it sleazy.